at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writers Room. I'm your host Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And this week I'm joined by Sif Pop Writers Alex. Hi there. As well as Jonathan. Hi everyone. Uh, it's good to have you guys on the show. Um, Alex, it feels weird not talking about uh, a Shrek movie since you're on. So yeah, that's, I was um... surprised too. <laughs> I think we'll I think we'll get around to Shrek Four and uh, um, Puss in Boots: The Last Wish at some point, right? Uh, even if it's just like a special episode that we you know add to the curriculum. I feel like I feel like it's what the fans, all four of them, deserve. You know, <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, maybe we have to throw in Shrek the Musical as well, because uh, that's a thing. Um, uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we got to go for the complete filmography, and there's also like a reboot in the works. And like, why? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I guess I guess because the sequels kind of went off the rails after two, but yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Is Shrek going to be one of those franchises in 10 years where we have like, you know, like like Terminator and Halloween where like there's three or four different timelines. We're like, oh, there's there's Shrek one, one, two, three, four. And then there's this alternate timeline because Puss in Boots, The Last Wish had this different animation style. And that branched off this new Shrek reboot thing. And then the virus comes out every time. Guys, I swear this is the real next Shrek five. I promise. Right. And then one of the and then we're going to have to have a chart breaking it all down to find out what's canon and what's not. Yeah. Um, that'd be, um, I pray for, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, lots of good stuff happening on the website, sifpop.com. Make sure to keep up with all that. Uh, but on the podcast, we're going to talk about a couple coming attractions, some big hitters coming out this week. Oh, that's a pun. Ha ha. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize well until I said it. Um, those are the best kind of fun. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane as two movies that are kicking off my watch list. And uh, we'll do a B-plot of best ever contained movies, which we're going to be like a little loose with. So uh, just because kind of realizing that um, there are like three really good take takes place entirely in one room kind of movies. And um, um, so I think we're just kind of going to play that a little fast and loose for the sake of not everybody having you know the same three movies. Um, and the fact that we have actual five good movies in our top five so i don't i could be wrong could be wrong but um we'll get I around put to a fifth one in there but i don't like one of them <laughs> um we'll get there i'm sure um but um i'm really excited about that actually and then we'll wrap up with a spinoff uh, but first let's get a chance to know our writers this week guys you've both been on the show it's been uh a, about a month for alex two months i guess i don't know time is a construct and uh it's been a hot second but uh jonathan has been on the show before um Guys, I want to give you an option um, to bring out one hot take you have about the Oscars. It could be about the Oscars in general. It could be about this year's Oscars. Um, whenever you're ready, I'm ready to listen. You want to go first? Sure. Um, my hot take about the Oscars, I guess, is that um, I think they're most interesting when something controversial happens. I sure. think otherwise um, they really wouldn't be talked about and haven't been talked about um, I guess for all of the right reasons in recent years, it's either been awards going to the wrong 
movies uh, actually announced um, for obviously the slap last year. And I, I think those are the biggest takeaways um, from the show overall, I think in all of their efforts to trim down the time and um, they're still way too long and mostly uninteresting um, unless something big and wild and controversial happens. Mm. Sure. That's a good hot take. I saw, um, I, I've been saying kind of the thing is that I, I, I think there won't be one of those moments this year because there's been one of those moments for the last, like at least three of the last five years. Um, and, uh, you know, with the La La Land Moonlight reading and then the the slap and the Chadwick Boseman, Anthony Hopkins, weird snafu at the end of two Oscars. Um, but the, um, I saw an article today that the Oscars has assembled what they're calling a crisis squad that is meant to handle a situation as if something like the slap were to occur again. And I'm like, like, it's really not needed, right? Like it, it, it was, a, it's not like something like that is going to happen again, especially like, I feel like people are going to be more like, uh, aware of their <laughs> surroundings. What look, all you have to do is screen the movies or screen the jokes. Why, why are they not screening jokes? And why are they not, you know, screen, <laughs> why are they not, why is the Academy not screening jokes as well as, you know, having anything in measure, any, I, I get the crisis squad, but it needs to be one person that's just willing to be like, you know, to take Will aside and to calm him down, you know, and to, and to, to later go up to Chris Rock and be like, Hey, not cool. Right. Um, but anyway, I just, all you need to do is screen the jokes. Why, why is nobody screening jokes there anyway? For sure. Fair point. Or if Absolutely. they are, why are they not doing a good job at it? <laughs> anyway uh that's a good hot take um and i i'm tired of beating the dead horse i've said this the last couple weeks but like i think the oscars are gonna go by totally okay this year and it's not gonna matter because it's the same night as the last of us premiere and like guys are any of you watching the uh, the oscars over the last of us finale no not at all maybe you'll check twitter at the end of the show you know um but yeah it's not gonna matter (laughs) uh alex what is your hot take uh, my hot take is uh, Michael Abel's score for Nope should have been nominated uh, for best score. It's fantastic. Uh, if there was anything aside from the great cinematography, and uh, I know some people didn't really agree with the script, if there's anything that I think people should have walked away with, that score is just fantastic. Sure. I don't think get out. Uh, I don't think Nope got any nominations, did it? It didn't. And that's like the one I was like, are you serious? Not even that one? Yeah, I mean, sure, score, especially because like, I don't know that any of the ones that are there are super memorable. I mean, I look, I'm 100% pulling for Babylon. Um, I think that's outstanding and it should win. But like, I really like the Banshees of Inisherin score and I don't think that one got nominated. Um, but yeah, like sure, Kiki Palmer for supporting actress could have been one. Um, script, right? Original screenplay. Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd also go for best cinematography. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'd have to take a look at the nominations, but I'm sure there's one of them that I'd be like, really? So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good call. Um, I don't know that it's much of a hot take anymore. Maybe I'm just hanging around with too many Sif Pop people, but uh, uh, I'll say it here anyway, just for those like into movies, but not like necessarily like in in, in our Sif Pop community. But I'm just going to, I'll use my hot take to say um, I think the Oscars are at least the second most important voting body. Uh, I mean, I like the idea that the Academy is like made up of like cinematographers in the industry vote for best cinematography. Like, I think that's a really great idea. Um, But I think the Oscars have kind of become um, just what they are at this point. And like a lot of times it's like respect awards or 
um, like something gets an award that like we're very clearly like, hey, hold on, that wasn't the right call. Um, and there's sometimes we're like, hold on, that wasn't the right call. And then five years later, like I remember it being a big deal when Moonlight won over over La La Land, and I still haven't seen Moonlight, but like I think a lot of at least the Sif Pop people have been like, yeah, but look, I love La La Land too, but Moonlight should have been the best picture winner. So it's like, you know, I, I feel like the Oscars um, are at least the second most important voting body um, or voting awards that we should take into account. I mean, I'm a big fan of the CCAs, uh, not just because Dicer's there, but I, I like the idea that it's completely subjective. Um, it's not by people in the industry. Um, I don't know. Um, definitely, definitely over the Golden Globes, <laughs> um, you know, and because BAFTAs are pretty limited, I take the, the Academy over BAFTAs, but like I'm, I'm I'm more willing to put stake in the sifties over the Oscars at, at this point, you know, um, because we'll you, we'll say things like Suicide Squad is a top five film. Of the, sorry, the Suicide Squad is a top five film of the year. <laughs> so and like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's great. I loved it. So, um, well, yeah. you can't forget the Nickelodeon's Kids Choice Awards. Oh, true. That, I can't forget the Kids Choice there. Awards. Yeah. The Surfboard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kids Choice Awards are somewhere between uh <laughs> somewhere between the oscars and the uh <laughs> and the golden globes with mtv movie awards somewhere in there as well <laughs> um i mean we can't like look if the academy would just add best kiss then yeah um it, it would shoot up to the top of the list so <laughs> Uh, one more thing before we move on, I got a chance to, um, uh, you guys got a chance to take a look at my movie document to pick, uh, my movie collection document to pick uh, a movie to talk about this week and, um, give you a chance to, uh, roast my collection. So, um, let me hear it. What do you have? Um, three ninjas, all of them. Really? Yeah, man. <laughs> Talked about this two weeks ago. Get on my level, man. These movies are great. <laughs> Except for the first okay. one. What about Uncharted? Did you really like that one? Oh, man. Uncharted was one of those that I picked up because I found it for like seven bucks on 4K somewhere. And I didn't like it, but I didn't hate it. Uh, yeah, man, you got me there. Because <laughs> like, I was trying to think of like, no, I think there's some things worth watching about it. But it's like, I will turn on the Alicia Vikander Tomb Raider 10 times out of 10 over Uncharted. And like now that I have a PlayStation again, I could just play the Uncharted games. There you go. My my wife kind of likes that one, and because she's just like, sure, it entertained me, and that's all that there is to movies for her, and that's okay. So I mean, I won't not ever watch it again, but that's you got me there, Alex. <laughs> I was gonna say Star Wars Holiday Special, but that was too easy. Uh, yeah, I mean that was one of those like, completionist things in me, and um, gosh, it's terrible. Um, I never saw it when I when I bought it though. I found a copy. Somebody ripped one to a Blu-ray that worked. Um, that's um, obviously because Disney would never officially release that in any capacity. They're trying to bury it, but it won't be buried. Um, anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> but I do have it counteracted because I do have the um, Star Wars original trilogy despecialized on Blu-ray. So somebody oh, nice. like ripped the VHSs. Oh, interesting. And and upgraded them. Um, uh, they're obviously not perfect but they're they're decent so i'll take it i'd say uh you know i respect the the completionist aspect of it but batman and robin uh is Mm. questionable Mm. um and what's funny is with the new flash movie and you know michael keaton being back batman forever and batman and robin were 
at one point in time considered uh, a continuation of the Michael Keaton films. You had, uh-huh. you know, Alfred go, uh, you know, these same, same Alfred. And um, so now it's, it's curious with Michael Keaton coming back, if Batman and Robin and Batman forever are still considered adventures that his Batman had. Um, but Batman and Robin is, is, is terrible. The, the behind the scenes stories of it are, are comical. Um, so, but I do respect, I mean, pretty much every single DC, anything, um, I, I respect the completionist aspect of it, but that's one that if I never saw again, I'd, I'd be okay. It's look, it's terrible, right? But it's, yeah. but it is watchable. Like that's for the sure. thing. Um, however, I will tolerate no Batman forever slander on this podcast. Cause that movie oh, is yeah. awesome. I, I would say of the two, um, it, it was my Batman. Um, that was the first one I saw in theaters. Um, I thought the car was cool. I, I, I didn't get, you know, the hate for it at the time. And, and it still holds a special place in my heart for sure. Batman I, uh, it, yeah, I, I came to it really late. Um, I only grew up with the Keaton Batman and, um, like the original Keaton Batman. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I said it when we talked about the Batman films on the podcast, but, uh, uh, yeah, ba- Batman forever is like the second best pre Nolan Batman movie. Cause Batman returns is a giant turd. Um, and people either love or hate that movie. I fall on the hate side. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I do appreciate that you respect the, the, the grind, though. <laughs> um, I do want to say uh, I'm willing to die on the hill that George Clooney was not a bad Batman. He just had a really terrible script. I would not be mad if they brought Clooney like into the Elseworlds um like that they're doing with the new dc i mean obviously not like as a full-time thing but kind of like what they're doing with keaton for flash i just will never be as excited about that as like the moment at the super bowl tv spot where keaton says i'm batman like i screamed um and then uh and then i saw it in the theaters uh again in front of the um i saw the full trailer in front of ant-man and the lost quantumania a couple days ago and um i still squealed um it's it's such a good moment and if, if that was Clooney I would be like okay <laughs> my um, biggest my biggest problem with Clooney was that he was the that I can think of the only live action Batman that had no change in cadence of his voice or anything between Bruce Wayne and Batman it was identical he was the same person in the cowl or not you know for all the grief that Christian Bale takes the gravelly voice um even Michael Keaton Val Kilmer they all you know, had a slightly deeper or, or change something about their affect. But Clooney was George Clooney, whether he was Bruce Wayne or Batman. Yeah, I, that's fair. Um, okay, let's uh, take some time then. We're going to move on to um, one quick question that is on the spot. You guys don't know. It's not pop culture related. Um, the question that I pulled from a random question generator this week is what season is your fit? I like fall. I like hoodies. I like jeans. I like no snow, but I also live in a very humid area of the country for the summers. So like fall tends to not be humid. The, the only problem is I get fall for like a week um, because summer ends. We have a week of changing over and then it's just freezing. So, uh, but I really like fall. Nice. Nice. I think I like spring. I'm in a part of the country where it's <laughs> hot most of the time. I was just um, wondering what, what seasons are there. <laughs> yeah, it's hot most of the time. Um, and it does get cold in the winter for 
a couple of months, nothing as extreme as up north, but um, uh, I hate the cold for the very little bit of it that we get here. And uh, so spring is always nice um, coming out of that and enjoying it for the few weeks that we have it before summer, <laughs> uh, before temperatures hit 90 and 100. So, um, yeah, did you guys I, get I any like snow this year? I saw like snow reaching pretty far south. We did not here we got the last time we got snow i'm in i'm in houston texas uh for the listeners the last time we got snow was in 21 um it snowed for a couple of days consecutively and we were in the teens um which is unheard of here um so that was yeah, a whole things like deal. snow shovels don't exist because yeah. you don't need them <laughs> they don't pretty much if any snow or ice hits the ground you just don't go anywhere um yeah but so yeah not a fan of the cold love spring I love winter. Now that I'm up in the north, I love winter because it gives me the biggest excuse to not go out and do things because mm. I don't like to go out when I'm working so much. Sure. People be like, do you want to go out? And I'm like, do you want to die? <laughs> so that's why I love it. I Yeah, it's it's definitely like, uh, yeah, for sure. There, there's definitely that kind of argument. And I'm like, I'm not really an introvert or anything like that. But I, yeah, there are certainly days where I don't really want to leave my couch. And it's like, yeah, I have to go run, run an errand though. And it's like, well. It can wait till tomorrow, you know, because then I'd have to put on pants and, you know, um, like real, like real pants, you know, not sweatpants, not uh, pajama pants, you know. Oh, I'm doing sweatpants. I don't care. (laughs) And like, man, if I have to put, if I have to like take the time to put on my boots, I bought these, um, I bought these laces for all my shoes and they're like stretchy, but they like hold firm. So like you can put them on any kind of shoe, even a running shoe and um, you get them all set up. And they're, um, they will like hold your shoe to your foot as if you tied your shoe, but they turn up, they convert them into slip-ons like, because they've got like stretchy laces. Um, so like it holds firm, but it also like is easy to take off. And so now any shoe that I have to tie my laces is just like a no-go for me, (laughs) especially boots. So I'm a middle schooler apparently, but that's fine. You guys ready to talk about a couple movies coming out this week? Oh yeah. I want to start off with this one, Operation Fortune, The Rise of Gurrier. Um, sorry, the rise, the rise of Dagur. Um, I was cheese on my mind, apparently. Um, he loves cheese. I do love cheese, and I love Gurrier. I think it's a great cheese. Um, okay, so this, I think, will be a Sif Pop first, maybe second. Um, but I remember previewing this movie in January 2022, I think. Because this movie was supposed to hit theaters a few years ago and it only got pulled like a week before like i, like, I don't think it, I, I think a lot of theaters were expecting not to have it but it, it wasn't officially pulled from the schedule until then and then it was just kind of stuck in like limbo where it's like is this ever going to release a lot of people were thinking it's just going to go straight to vod at this point or it's going to go straight to like netflix somebody's just going to buy the rights to distribute this you know amazon or something in the u.s and um that is not the case it looks like it's officially coming out this week in theaters uh march 3rd so this is a new guy Ritchie film uh guy Ritchie's done films like uh snatch lock stock and two smoking barrels the sherlock holmes robert downey jr ones um and king arthur legend of the sword you know things like that uh most recently the gentleman has he done one since then i don't think so oh um he did that wrath of man movie with jason statham that's pretty good that was between them um also did Aladdin, the live action. So, um, oh yeah, I forget uh, that he did the the Man from Uncle, Rock and Roller. Um, so Operation Fortune, 
Uh, Special Agent Orson Fortune and his team of operatives recruit one of Hollywood's biggest movie stars to help them with an undercover mission when the sale of a deadly new weapon uh, technology threatens to disrupt the world order. Starring Jason Statham, Aubrey Plaza, Hugh Grant, Carrie Elways, Josh Hartnett, uh, Bugsy Malone. Um, Anybody else here that I recognize? I don't believe so. Uh, But yeah, um, this movie is finally coming out to theaters. And um, we're just going to say the only thing holding you back from keeping this, seeing this movie is your free will. Budget schedule, anything um, variable, any variable is not going to take a factor. Only your free will. When will you guys check out this movie? Will you go check it out in theaters? Wait till you can rent it at home. Wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for. Or are you just not interested in seeing this? Um, Jonathan, let's start with you. I would say that I might stream this movie, but I'm borderline not interested. Um, it, it, it looks to me like the type of movie that everyone involved had more fun making it than I will enjoy Ooh. watching it. Um, like a, let's say like an Ocean's 12 or something. Um, a bunch of people that seem to have really good chemistry, but in watching the trailer, um, it, it just seems like they're all in on a joke that I'm just not uh, that interested in, in, in hearing. But um, I wouldn't be opposed to catching it on a streamer. It seems like, you know, it definitely had a budget um, there are effects in this and action sequences that could be cool. I love Aubrey Plaza. Um, so yeah, I, I would check it out on a streamer, um, but definitely not before that. Okay. Um, Alex, what about you? I'm leaning on streaming, but I've been starting to go back to the theaters. So depending on the day and if word of mouth is good on it, I might check it out, but more so leaning on streaming. Okay, I'm going to go with a very in- unenthusiastic theaters for this one, uh, meaning like if I get a chance to go see it, uh, I'm going to go see it. Like if my if my schedule allows, the problem is like week weekday nights aren't really free for me unless it's a movie my wife wants to see. And ever since COVID, theaters around me haven't been opening before like 4 p.m. And like I like I used to be the like 11 a.m. kind of guy. Um, and we pretty much only get that on Saturday and Sunday now. And like, I work a lot of Saturday and Sunday now. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, pretty, pretty unfortunate for me. Um, but that's kind of the situation is if I, if I get a chance to see this one, you know, if I randomly have like, a like a Friday night to myself, then sure. I'll go check it out. Um, it'd be a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, I just, I just, Guy Ritchie has enough pull for me. Um, Snatch is on my favorites of all time. Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is right there with Snatch. Um, the uh, um, I really liked Wrath of Man. Um, I thought The Gentleman was a really nice return to form. That Aladdin one is maybe the second best Disney live action remake so far. Like it's What's it's your, good. Uh, first uh, probably Lion King, unless I'm missing one. Oh, sorry, no, sorry, not Lion King. Uh, definitely I, not Lion King. Jungle Book. <laughs> okay, um, I was confused for a second. No, yeah, Jungle I, Book. Did not enjoy Lion King. <laughs> I didn't see it um, because oh. nobody enjoyed it. Um, everybody said it's pretty and that's it. But um, no, the Jungle Book, the John Favreau one, like the first one they did. Um, but like, I'm trying to think. Like, uh, um, I mean, I know, I know, there's an audience for the Beauty and the Beast one. Um, I know there, there's an audience for the. Uh, um, well, nobody likes nobody likes Dumbo. Um, I think this new Little Mermaid one looks pretty okay. But like, yeah, I. I I'm not missing one, am I? Like, there's not one that people really like, is there? I mean, Aladdin's probably the closest. I like Aladdin. Aladdin Jungle Book. Fun fact, Aladdin That's... is technically the only Guy Ritchie movie I've ever seen. <laughs> okay. Yeah, anyway, so anyway, like, I kind of like that Aladdin one, and um, 
I didn't see the man from Uncle, but that one has a lot of uh, good word of mouth. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, I just I really I really like Guy Ritchie. I think he's he makes really interesting films, especially like when he gets to kind of make his own film as opposed to like you know kind of be forced into a bubble. Um, I think the only one of his movies I've seen that I didn't really like was Rock and Rolla. Um, but that's because I haven't seen King Arthur Legend of the Sword. So, um, <laughs> you know, um, I, Guy Ritchie alone is going to get me pretty interested. But then you throw in this cast and I'm like, yeah, sure. If I get the time, I'm going to check it out. But more than likely, this will be a streamer for me uh, just in, in practicality. But in terms of anticipation level, I'm going to go like a very unenthusiastic theaters for one. So um, that kind of sums up my thoughts. I mean, again, it's just Guy Ritchie is here. So so I'm in. I mean, do you guys have anything else to add? Um, I saw the thumbnail for this trailer before I clicked on it and was not interested. And then I saw the trailer and, uh, premise is decent. I, to my knowledge, I haven't seen too much like it. I mean, it does seem like a generic, uh, spy assassination mission, but with a fun little twist. So it kind of gets my attention, but not by much. Sure. Um, let's move on then to a film that I think we'll have a little bit more thoughts on. Uh, Creed 3 coming out this week. Uh, this is uh, directed by Michael B. Jordan um, and uh, written by Keenan Coogler, who is Ryan's brother. Um, Ryan Coogler is still helping with story, but uh, um, he was busy doing Black Panther Wakanda forever. Um, and then Zach Balin also coming in for screenplay credit. Um, Michael B. Jordan and Tessa Thompson returning, of course, and uh, um, Felicia Rashad as the, the mother. Uh, but we're adding um, Jonathan Majors to be the big bad um, for this one. So, man, what a what a couple months this guy has had. I mean, it's one of those where you're like, I saw somebody tweet that uh, they were just upset that Jonathan Majors like is is the next big bad in the MCU because that means like he's not that, that he's not not going to be free to do a lot of other things. And it's like he in the last couple months, let, let's take the last what like year or two. Like he did Lovecraft Country. And he did, um, obviously he's in Loki and Ant-Man. He did this. He did um, Devotion, which is a movie that kind of just went under the radar. Um, uh, he did, um, I feel like there's a big one I'm missing. The Harder They Fall. Um, he was in Five Bloods. Like, dudes kept pretty busy. So, um, yeah, that kind of pushes us back to 2020. So, anyway, um, like, he's in five upcoming projects at the moment. I mean, two of them are Avengers, but like I, the other thing too, is like Kang Kang dynasty is supposed to be 2025 and secret wars is 2026. So like, that's not that far off, <laughs> you know, like even if he is only doing the MCU movies until, you know, the end of secret wars, I thought Kang dynasty was after that. Anyway, it, even if his run is only here in the Avengers, like he's free up to star in more movies starring 2027. And it's, I think likely that they'll film Secret Wars and Kang Dynasty back to back. But anyway, um, so anyway, it's going to free him up to do a lot in, like in a couple of years. So anyway, um, we've gone long enough without doing the anticipation level. Um, Jonathan, you went first last time. So Alex, uh, same scale, theaters, rent, streamer, skip, same caveats. Uh, if I can catch up on the series theaters, I really want to love that first one. Still got to watch the second one. But as soon as I do, I'm going to the nice. Have you seen um like any of the Rocky movies or just the Creeds? The f- the first one and a little bit of Balboa. I got to catch up on those two. OK, I don't know really how many of them are like necessary viewing for Creed. Right. Like, I feel like like I feel like you like, man, 
I watched Creed one without ever seeing a Rocky movie. I don't and... think you need to because like we already kind of know who Rocky is, and I think they do a pretty decent enough job of explaining how Adonis Creed like fits into all of this. Um, so yeah. Anyway, uh, Jonathan, what about you? Theaters, rent, streamers, skip. This is a theaters for me. Um, directorial debut of Michael B. Jordan. That'll be cool to see. Yep. Uh, the guy is he's great in everything. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, this is the first one without any involvement by Syl- Sylvester Stallone. So it'll be mm-hmm. you know with with Michael B. Jordan directing. You, you know, you don't have Stallone there, kind of orchestrating things it'll be interesting to see what direction it goes if it leaves itself open to you know further stories um if he kind of i think they just announced creed 4 at least michael b jordan said creed 4 okay interesting um and then you know for all of his credits that you listed you know deservedly so jonathan majors uh he just he looks like a force in the trailer for this thing i don't know what kind of training uh he did for this movie but it, he just looks otherworldly, and the, I mean, this could be, you know, the Avengers villain, uh, you know, this dude in this movie because he just looks, yeah, um, formidable, and uh, so. But everything about it um, says theaters, and and that'll be it for me. Sure. Um, yeah, and also when I said Creed Four, like I didn't mean to assume uh, to insinuate that Creed Four would be, would be the last. All I know is that Michael B. Jordan confirmed that creed 4 will be happening so okay great. Um, not one of those like yeah creed 4 like and that'll be the it it might be i don't know but um yeah i'll be theaters creed as 4. well i've seen all these movies i i binge them all after robert and i talked about the first rocky um like two years ago um i watched them all and i think in general it's a it's a decent franchise i think it's a little overrated for me especially that first film uh, but these Creed ones are great. Um, at least the, the first one I think is my favorite in the franchise and, uh, Creed two is fine. Um, I, I know a lot of people kind of poo pooed it when it came out and it's, I think better than most people thought, but I, I get it. The expectations of it's the sequel to Creed, which is amazing. And it's bringing back, you know, the most iconic Rocky villain of all time. Um, so in a different form, you know, in the form of a son. So, um, yeah. So not even just Rocky, like one of the most iconic eighties villains of all time. Uh, was Creed, was Rocky four in the nineties, 88. I want to say, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, 85. I was right. Uh, I was wrong. Oh, it was in the eighties. So anyway, um, the, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think Jonathan majors like looks to be a force to reckon with. Like you said, um, I, uh, I think it's one of those where like kind of hand in hand, like doing the role of this and King the Conqueror, like he had to have, he was already pretty ripped, but like he had to have got like super ripped for, for one of these. Right. And it's, it's just going to impact the other. That's great. Right. Like maybe he got ripped for this role and now that's just going to look better because King the Conqueror is going to look like a you know, boxer. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Absolutely. He's going to be built like the rock, you know? So, um, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I've seen this trailer only like once in theaters and like, that's kind of the way I do trailers now. And it's, um, it just blew me away. I was like, man, it's going to be so good. Um, but yeah, Jonathan, what would you say to somebody that hasn't seen any Rocky or Creed movie that is interested because they're on the Jonathan major supremacy train? Oof, like, that's like, a good question. I feel like, I feel like you could go into it only seeing Creed and Creed two. I don't feel like you need to see any others. If you have the time, 
maybe Rocky one through four, and then you don't need five or Balboa. Although Balboa is definitely worth watching, it just doesn't carry into the story at all. Um, like Balboa is like my I think second favorite of this franchise. I think it's Creed and then Balboa. Um, but like at least those first four have Carl Weathers in it. You could probably skip three because he's just kind of a side character. He doesn't have much to do, but he is in the movie. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, they were smart to set up the Creed films that they can stand on their own. Um, I think that's been really well done. Certainly, if you have the time and you're a completionist um, and you want to see, you know, where this all started, especially if you're not really into boxing or sports in general, um, the more build up and lead up you have to this um, couldn't hurt. Um, but I, I think definitely, like you said, um, they do a good enough job in Creed kind of setting up all the major players and giving you the backstory necessary that you could just go through these. And, and because I think, you know, for, for a third film in a franchise, you know, I, I think they nailed it with, with Jonathan majors, you know, he's such a force. Um, and if you're, you're needing this character to go through, you know, a third bout of adversity and, you know, going up against someone like Jonathan majors, I think is, is will be huge um so if if you've liked you know anything michael b jordan has been in or anything jonathan majors has been in um definitely at least uh probably see creed one and two but i think this will be a really good one yeah yeah i mean i feel feel like it's safe to say you should see creed one and two before this one definitely but like yeah i I feel like i was even thinking about it like you could probably just watch rocky four because each of those movies begins with like a 10 minute montage recapping the whole franchise so like (laughs) That's true. And even then you can turn off rock in terms of like needing to know what happens um, for the Creed franchise. You could turn off Rocky four as soon as Apollo dies. Um, sure. Cause nothing important in terms of that character happens afterwards. <laughs> then it's just Rocky goes and beats up the guy that kills Apollo. Yeah. Um, right. It, but Rocky four is totally worth watching. Um, so yeah, but I think you're right. They've done a good enough job of being kind of standalone, but I think also in doing that, like, Look, I know that Rocky is like considered at least the first film is like considered prestige, right? And it's a it's a very well received franchise. Um, but like, there's just another level here. I mean, a lot of that is Coogler's camera work, um, but there's um, just real depth to all these characters. Um, I think it's also like the the this film like focuses on fewer characters, right? It's kind of just in the first one, it's just um, uh, Apollo. Uh, Rocky and um, Tessa Thompson's character, right? That really, mm-hmm. like, they're really the only focuses. Uh, a, a little bit the mom, kind of, in all of them, but like, um, I don't, there's no like Polly and um, just adding a bunch of like excess characters throughout the franchise, you know. Sure. So, um, but yeah, um, I don't have any more thoughts. I just Creed is going to get me. Creed is just going to get me, and uh, really excited for Michael B. Jordan to be directing this. Um, I think this is not. No, I think that this is his debut. I was just rem- trying to think. Um, this is. Yeah, uh, but I think he's maybe lined up for more, is he not? I'm sure if, if Creed 4 happens, he'll do it, um, as long as they like <laughs> his role. I, I was getting confused because there's um uh there's that movie that he did like in December 2020 called The Journal for Jordan, but that was directed by Denzel Washington, not him. Um, So... Um, I'm out of thoughts and I feel like I'm just talking in circles. So anybody have anything else or are we ready to move on? I'm all good. Yeah, good. 
cool uh get a chance to promote your stuff here real quick so if you want to send anybody to check out anything um uh more from you if, if they've heard some movie thoughts from you and they're like hey maybe i want to hear more from them where can they find you alex let's start with you hey so i'm alex i run a channel called on, on youtube called alex reviews and stuff i'm currently working on a project called the uh, james gunn project which is uh i'm reviewing all of the superhero movies that he's directed to guardians 3 starting with super in 2010 mm-hmm. and uh if you want to follow me on social media you can also find me on twitter at alex mixvid thanks what are the so super guardians guardians 2 probably holiday special in there and uh the suicide squad doing. Am I missing anything? Peacemaker. Mm, Peacemaker, right. I, was, I know he was a producer on Brightburn, but yes. he didn't direct that one. So. I was debating that, but it, it's like loosely connected. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to skip it. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I don't, I think that's kind of everybody's, even if it does tie into your video, you should still skip it anyway. Um, <laughs> nice. Um, Jonathan, what about you? If somebody wants to connect with you, uh, talk movies with you, where they can they find you? Um, pretty simple you could follow me on instagram at jonathan feedy um not on twitter but yeah look me up there shoot me a message cool uh, i'll make sure to have both those handles in the episode description below um so you guys can uh check out that stuff um uh, just kind of copy and paste into whatever platform it is uh and quick reminder the patreon exists patreon.com slash hipopwr for lots of fun um things after as soon as we're done recording i'm uh putting up my ant-man and the wasp quantumania thoughts uh, exclusively on patreon so um let's move on to the sift topic we'll talk about cloverfield and ted and cloverfield lane obviously we'll go in release order not that it super matters but um we'll go in release order anyway um spoiler warning for both films we'll be we'll be talking about both of these films as freely as we want uh cloverfield a group of friends venture into the deep streets of new york on a rescue mission during a rampaging monster attack this is directed by matt reeves written by drew goddard starring um quite a few people that uh um surprised me because i just kind of i think when this movie came out all these people were nobodies but some of them have become people now you know uh Lizzie Kaplan probably being the biggest and TJ Miller blew up there for a while until he literally blew up. Um, uh, also Theo Rossi is in there for like a hot second. Uh, he was in a, a recurring role in Sons of Anarchy and uh, anyone in the Wasp maybe. I feel like he was in a comic book property film. Um, I'm going to get this. Uh, oh, Luke Cage. Um, he was uh, Shades in Luke Cage show. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, and then Mike Vogel um who i recognized from grind because i um was born in a very weird time <laughs> the skater movie right i'm sorry what it was the skater movie right yeah yeah for sure oh okay um and it's actually pretty good <laughs> for like if you can oh, understand like just it was made for its time <laughs> oh yeah um so but yeah it looks like he's been in lots of other like decently well-known things but uh let's see here um Real quick, we'll do our history with the movie. Uh, Jonathan, I believe you picked this one, right? Yes, I did. All right, so um, real quick, uh, a little bit about your history with the movie, and then why, out of a document full of a thousand some odd movies, um, did you say, I really want to talk about Cloverfield? This is a movie I remember the teaser trailer for well. It was, I don't remember before what movie I saw it. But it was a uh, it was one of those trailers that you weren't even really sure it was a trailer you had just watched. Um, there was no title card at the end. There, I think there might have been a 
there might have been a release date, um, but it was just super intriguing, did a lot with a little um, in that initial teaser trailer, and um, I was hooked instantly. Um, it was also one of the first movies that I can think of that had, prior to its release, a real viral presence on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, there were websites and there were clues to what the movie would even be about. Um, and I think as it got closer to the release, a lot of the characters from the film had, you know, at the time, they must have been like, each character had like a MySpace page or something. So there was all these breadcrumbs that you could find and follow even before the movie released. And I remember being completely into all of it. Um, and seeing the movie, um, what was kind of a bummer initially was the, the biggest stories written about it is how people were getting sick when they saw it, um, because of the shaky cam and they were getting motion sickness, um, which didn't happen to me, but, you know, I, I was bummed out that that was grabbing a lot of the headlines other than, you know, above, you know, how great of a movie I thought it was. Um, and even after it was over and in the years since there's been, you know, so many theories and, and connections to other things written about it. Um, and even, you know, with, with the second movie that we'll talk about, 10 Cloverfield Lane, um, prior to that movie being announced, I wanted a sequel to this movie. Um, and there's a moment in this movie where they're on, they're on the bridge and they're trying to escape New York and, um, the character HUD, TJ Miller's character, he's the one filming and he, he pans over and he sees another guy on the bridge filming back at him. And, you know, I, and, you know, JJ Abrams himself has said, you know, there was probably so many versions of this film taking place that night, different people recording, you know, their experiences that night, uh, different vantage points of, of, of the monster that I thought there were so many ways they could have gone with a sequel or with um, just a, you know, another film happening at the same time. And Mm. uh, I was bummed that they've never really returned to this really and truly um, because I just thought there were so many interesting stories that could have been, and even, you know, the, the, the final fate of the the two main characters at the end, you know, um, could have been explained or, um, but it, it was just, the mystery surrounding it and the, the glimpses of the monster that we get um, and, and all the theories around it and the dots you have to connect. There's different moments in the movie that kind of tell a, you know, a story of the origin of this thing and how it came to be. Um, it was just all super, super interesting and intriguing to me. And I, I, I love the movie. Nice. Um, yeah. I'm fair to say, look, I, I know that, probably Blair Witch Project gets the most credit for this, but I think Cloverfield has the best marketing campaign of all time. Um, Because, you know, the big thing about Blair Witch was that, like, they hired a bunch of nobodies and then told them, like, we want you to essentially disappear off the face of the earth until this movie comes out because we want to advertise it as, you know, a real story. Um, And brilliant, right? And it worked really well and it was really captivating, but, like, Cloverfield took that to another level, you know, with essentially not showing anything that the movie was about. And, um, like, I think pretty much I only remember the, the like Statue of Liberty head falling. I know that was the big like money shot from the teaser. Um, but you know, between that and then if, yeah, you're saying like creating MySpace pages for these characters and like, um, a, bu- a bunch of like websites that people could find and essentially solve like puzzles. Like, I think it's fair to say it's probably the best marketing campaign 
for a movie ever. Um, Alex, what is your history with Cloverfield? Uh, my history is I really didn't even know what it was when I was younger because I was like eight years old and this movie came out. Uh, I lived in an area where I didn't have internet also, so none of that marketing got around to me, especially uh and it kind of just disappeared for a little bit in pop culture after it came out so i didn't really know about its existence until they in cloverfield lane and then i finally popped up on my radar and then i finally checked it out 2020 during uh the pandemic nice interesting um my history with this movie is that i knew it existed but like i've never really been a monster movie person so um i never i didn't really care when it came out um or like i, I kind of cared but like not enough to actually seek it out and then um saw 10 Cloverfield Lane when it came out because I know that that's unconnected. And um, yeah, just never got around to seeing this one. I think part of that was because if I recall correctly, I think a lot of people were pretty underwhelmed at the movie when it came out in 2008. Um, But I feel like it's one of those that has gotten significantly more appreciated. Um, Like, I think there was a lot of people that were just like, oh, it just kind of wound up being a monster movie. And like, we'll, we'll get there. But like, yeah, I, I think there was, and I think there was a lot of people that didn't like the found footage. So, like, I don't remember. I remember reviews being kind of middling on this, not as strong as they are, you know, today. Um, and I think time has done well with this movie, but um, yeah, I just I never got around to seeing it, and then I saw it for this podcast. It's it was it's been on my list to watch for a while now, and um, yeah, now that I now I've done that. So, uh, Jonathan, you already said you love it. Uh, Alex, do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I think it's just okay. All right. And I will land in the middle with the like it. Um, let's, let's get into it. Um, first of all, um, man, what a stacked cast, like for a movie of nobodies, right? Like a lot of times you see these movies of nobodies, like, uh, like Blair Witch Project, right? And like, none of them really did anything with their careers after that, as far as I know. Um, you know, I'm sure they did some things that like fans of like b-level horror gonna like whatever but not me like i always love like finding these movies this this feels like you know when you watch a an early episode of um like curb your enthusiasm and like like zachary levi is just like a brief cameo in an early episode of, of curb your enthusiasm I'm like that guy's like a a big star now and like <laughs> in, like if you if you if you go back and watch curb your enthusiasm that's that happens all throughout like people you're like hold on that person was in there for like a second and a half. Like that, they're huge now. <laughs> like, uh, it just kind of felt like that. I mean, again, Lizzie Kaplan more than everybody, and T.J. Miller was a really big star until mm-hmm. you know everybody found out he was just a terrible person. But um, Theo Rossi's had a respectable career, so um, yeah, I I really like like the very very first frames of this movie where it kind of says like uh, Cloverfield Project and it kind of like explains like this this was found in an area formerly known as central park now known as whatever zone like i really like that because it, it made me feel like we were kind of watching archive footage right like if we were somebody working for whatever organization would investigate something like this like it kind of felt like that right like it it really put found footage into perspective it really put it into like um into the mindset of like somebody watched this and filed it away and researchers are studying it to pick up on things now and we kind we kind of get to be a researcher for the future you know so um i i I liked that intro a lot um but um i guess let's dive into the found footage aspect of it real quick um what do you guys think does it work i i think it works um i think one of the biggest criticisms i i always see is how how long how we're supposed to believe the battery in this camcorder lasted 
some 12 hours or something mm-hmm. uh, all night, basically. Um, yep. But I think in defense of the film, you know, there are obvious cuts, so he would turn it on and off. And so I, I get over that pretty quickly. But I think what's interesting, what's interesting how they do it in, in this one is that um, there is the found footage aspect of it, but because TJ Miller's character starts recording over a tape that was already in uh, the camcorder, we see glimpses and flashes back to, I think it's, it's um, like a month prior yeah, and um, we see those at kind of key points in the film leading up to, and Aaron, I don't know if you, if you caught this or knew to even look for it or, but um, the way the the film ends, it's it's the two main characters um, and they're holed up in under a bridge in Central Park and um, and then the battery dies. Yeah, and the the, the 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 there's an explosion. The so and and. It's it's from the military bombing the monster, maybe killing it, maybe not. Um, but then the tape actually cuts to a day they had, um, I think, in Coney Island. And I think they're on a Ferris wheel. And in the background of that shot, um, out over the water, very, very easy to miss because it's, it's very small, but um, something falls into the water out, out in the ocean. You uh-huh. see something splash down from the sky. Um and that was actually, I remember at the time, people pointed to that and said that was the monster coming down or something um, landed in the ocean. Um, but I specifically, and, and I think even um, these days, the, the producer, the director, someone, maybe even Matt Reeves has come out and said, like confirmed that. But I, I distinctly remember when this movie came out and, and, and everything about the viral marketing and everything there was this um, in, included in the viral marketing for this was it was explained that there was this Japanese company that um, one of the, the 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 character in the film that they're throwing the party for because he's going he's moving to Japan or, or um, mm-hmm. to be some president of some company that company in the film um, they have a satellite and at the end of the movie what you see crash down into the ocean is one of their satellites falling out of orbit. And so all the viral storytelling that goes along with this movie, the story was that satellite crashes into the ocean and this, this thing, this monster existed um, in the ocean, on the ocean floor, which kind of explains the little like creatures that fell off of it and stuff. It was something that existed down in the depths of the ocean when this satellite crashed um it eventually sank hit this thing woke it up broke it free whatever and that's what um what causes it to come out of the ocean and and attack new york but i always thought with the found footage what was really cool and what was really clever was cutting from the present day to you know this month prior between the two main characters this this really great day that they had together and then at the very end of the film you get what could have been the death of the creature and the bombing of new york and then that immediately cuts to, again, if you know to look for it, what was potentially its origin. So without even knowing it, these characters and with this camcorder got what could have been the end of this this creature's life on film. And then they also got the thing that fell from the sky um, that kicked off this whole series of events. They captured those two moments without even knowing it. Um, so I thought that was really clever. Um, and I thought, you know, for all the, the, the issues that, 
people have with shaky cam footage and and motion sicknesses and stuff. I I don't think this was was too jarring. I get again, I don't suffer from motion sickness. This didn't cause a problem for me, so others might disagree. But I didn't think um it was a gimmick for gimmick's sake. I thought, you know, they were, you know, in attacks or there were explosions happening and the times that it was really shaky, I think it was justified, but for the most part, I think um, the, the the images and, and the film was captured really well. Um, so for me, the, the shaky cam and, and the, the storytelling that way really worked. Uh, I did not notice that. I think that's really interesting, though, the um, the idea that they would have caught that in the end. And um, I look, I, I, I was aware of this movie's viral marketing, but like I wasn't really a big participant in it. So I don't know anything about this Japanese satellite thing. And I don't know. Have either of you seen the Cloverfield Paradox? Yeah, I have. I have. Yeah. Okay. Um, does it tie into this at all? More than likely not. Yeah, okay. not really. So that film, um, as I understand it, was completely its own thing. And it wasn't until, I mean, maybe even months, if not weeks before it came out, because I think it debuted online, like right after the Super Bowl. Yep. They um, released year. a trailer during the Super Bowl and they yeah. said tonight at 10 p.m. It'll launch on Netflix. So with that movie, spoiler alert, I guess for that movie, um, it's just a bunch of weird stuff that happens, um, completely unrelated, not connected to at all. But then at the very end, very, very end, last frame of the, the, the movie, um, a character is falling to Earth. It, it takes place uh, primarily in space, on a space station. Um, but then at the very end, a character, I forget, is either falling to Earth, flying to Earth, something, and they're above the clouds. And then not the same monster from Cloverfield, but... I mean, it could have been its its mother or father, like a much bigger version of that character breaks through the clouds and like cut to black kind of thing. So it, it felt very like they had this movie. How do they get eyeballs on this movie? Oh, let's let's say it, it ties into Cloverfield. And then at the end, this shot could have been added, you know, a week before the movie came out. It's that quick. But a uh, a uh, uh, a monster that is at least in the same species or relation to the monster that was in Cloverfield. It could be just a very, uh, that same monster, just years older. I don't know, but it pops up from the clouds and that's really the only kind of tenuous connection to Cloverfield, but it felt very tacked on the overall story of the movie had nothing to do with, with Cloverfield. Um, well, that's what I didn't know. I, I just, I, at some point it formed my head canon that, Cloverfield Paradox was a prequel to Cloverfield that kind of incited the event. I don't I, that. So anyway, that's why I was like asking to clarify. I, I, I've never seen Paradox, um, but and I thought about watching it, but I just didn't get the time to sure. watch it. Like I thought about watching it since I was watching these two. And, like there's a decent chance I will in the next couple of days, even though yeah. like I know that nobody really likes that movie. But like, yeah. again, the completionist in me and I know they're working on another Cloverfield movie. And look, I wouldn't be surprised if they're also working on two other Cloverfield movies because they tend to just like surprise drop these things or like, you know, it wasn't revealed that 10 Cloverfield Lane was even anything having to do with Cloverfield until like right before the movie came out. Um, And it doesn't have anything to do with the movie. But and man, that's one of those interesting things, too, where like, I guess this is not just about the movie Cloverfield itself, but about this franchise where like it feels kind of inconsistent, like the monster at the end of 10 Cloverfield Lane is not even the same species as the first Cloverfield. And like, I kind of wish it was like, um, and like it takes place in Louisiana and like, I kind of wish it took place in upstate New York and the monster had been 
moving right and had decimated the whole state you know um like i think that i think as uh, as a whole if you want to do this whole thing like i love the idea i mean you mentioned pretty early on um about the idea that uh on the bridge um hut sees somebody else with a camera i love the idea of telling this story from four or five different people like doing it as a sort of like vantage point kind of you know, each one has their own movie and each one's telling their whole story because like the characters aren't doing anything to try to fight the monster they're just trying to survive it right uh, and then rescue their friend so um like it's one of those that like you could easily tell this story in four or five different points because it's not like um there's that movie that came out in, like 2007 called vantage point that a lot of people didn't really like, but they're showing the same like 13 minutes over and over again. But like each character has like the same end goal in mind, which is to try to like stop this crime that has already started. Um, and, uh, or at least respond to this, to this crime. And like, I remember kind of liking that movie, but I haven't seen it since theaters. So like, I kind of want to give it another shot, but like, I think you could do that here because it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Right. Um, it, this is just people. I, I like to think in my head canon that, Somebody is watching this movie 30 years from now after, you know, the monster is gone and essentially like in a last of us kind of world, except, you know, the monster has been defeated and or maybe I guess longer than 30 years from now. How about like 60, 70 years from now? And people just don't know what life was like before. So they're examining this not really to examine the event, but to examine what was the world like um so that like that's kind of like my head canon of how i try to like view this movie um this is super old archive footage that somebody is looking at to try to figure out like how do we rebuild society um um so um anyway i um i think the found footage works really well for this kind of movie my problem with most like like it is with most found footage movies though is i just don't feel like this movie really has the agency like needed to keep justifying found footage like i think it was a really clever setup for hey you know where we've got this um this party like so it kind of introduces somebody having a camcorder when all hell breaks loose but like he's recording moments that you wouldn't record right and like i think it would have been a kind of a funny thing if if i mean because hut is is an idiot um like i think it would be a really funny thing if like we were only seeing like the moments in between him interviewing people as if he was like recording the mo like he, he didn't he got the recording button wrong one time and he was only recording moments that he wasn't meaning to record <laughs> like, I think that'd be really funny but um but the uh it, like it gets to this point where i'm like why are you still recording and like it, when the monster is there i get it right somebody's got you know record the monster record whatever but like th there becomes moments where they're recording like them talking in like the subway and figuring things out i'm like this isn't really like save your battery and whatnot and that but then like the scene where they're walking down the subway and they mention oh the, the camera has a flashlight yeah that makes sense right sure. I, I buy into that um especially because this movie takes place it's it, it says 2008 but like it feels i don't know maybe it's just me being like old or whatever like it doesn't feel like 2008 right it feels more like 2003 or 4 like everybody has like flip phones and whatnot like yeah. i'm pretty sure iphones are around by 2008 anyway um point is the uh um the I, I just feel like there was there was so many moments where i'm just like i don't know why you're recording this like it just like there's this zombie movie called uh diary of the dead that i watched a good amount as a kid and i don't know if it's any good or not because i haven't seen it in 15 years but um 
that I remember liking it. And they, they just have the throwaway line in there where somebody's like, why are you still recording? And they're like, we're like, somebody's like, I'm documenting this. So the people, future people can figure out what happened or like i think like it was a simultaneously like he was up like anytime there was a pause it was because he was charging the camera and uploading it to the internet and like people were checking out what they were seeing to like try to figure out how to how they could survive like um like that was kind of a good like agency to keep the found footage running but like there were so many times i was just questioning and it's just the way my brain it doesn't really do anything but it just kind of like i would like a little bit more justification on if you're going to use found footage like have it be actual found footage or like um like a or like a uh a shoot what's the what's the movie i'm thinking of um um man uh, um I, i'm thinking of uh how about even like something like searching right like where you could have this found footage interspliced with um like news recordings or or whatnot you know um i mean it kind of takes away a little bit of the gimmick of we just found this camera somewhere right but um yeah i'm not sure um that is really good of a anyway um yeah so i think i think it pays off i think i think it works really well but it movie movie didn't do enough for for me to like continually justify its existence how did it work for you alex i think it does just fine i'm not really a huge fan of found footage movies uh i can't i honestly can't say that there's a single one that i really like or love i don't hate the genre it just doesn't always work for me and sure here i i like it enough uh, to where the the movie's okay for me like i said like i really do like the like the stuff like the statue of liberty like that money shot that's that's awesome um and when you get down into the tunnels that's really suspenseful and i think yep. found footage really helps to its advantage uh but watching this movie uh through the eyes of an editor is really funny because it opens up with like cia or or you know a government found thing yep and there's points where it cuts that's like not really it doesn't feel like they press pause on the camera it just like i feel like somebody in a government building like had adobe open was like this kind of feels boring i'm gonna skip through this <laughs> mm-hmm. but um for the most part it, it does work even though i'm not a huge fan of them um okay I'd also like to say um, that whole going back to how connected these movies are. I think it's safe to say at this point that every Cloverfield movie takes place in a completely different universe. And the reason for that is Cloverfield Paradox basically kind of confirms that because they do go to an alternate reality in that movie. And uh, not only that, but each movie itself, they have different technology from different times. So like this takes place like in 2007, I'm pretty sure. And then uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane like opens up. And even though we're not, we're mostly inside of that bunker for most of them. Like Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character has like a modern day iPhone. Yeah. So that pretty much confirms they're all different. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I just, I would like it if it was the same event, you know? Yeah. I think it would make a better, more consistent franchise, you know, that absolutely. as opposed to just because it has Cloverfield, you know, it's going to be some sort of like monster movie with a unique perspective. And like, I guess, I guess, except for paradox, which is just, it's, it's a, it's a thriller that has a monster at, in the last frame, you know? Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, th- I think that's fair to say that like, they're all kind of separate universes and they're connected by this, this, this word Cloverfield that doesn't mean anything in, in the first movie. Like I saw somebody saying like one of the letterbox reviews I saw for the movie said something like, I just want to know why they called it Cloverfield. I'm like, how about like they called this the Cloverfield incident or like, cause it was project Cloverfield or whatever, you know, like the military called it that. I don't know. Um, does, does it matter? No, not really. 
Um, and obviously in 10 Cloverfield lay in the mailbox, like that's the address. So it's like, fine. Yeah. Like <laughs> this is just a code we're connecting these movies and I'm a okay with that. I'd love to see, um, I I'd really like to see, um, a like different media tie into this. I'd love to see like a Cloverfield video game that like is kind of set in this realm, you know, um, which again, it's all different realms, but, um, yeah, that'd be cool. Um, anyway, uh, I made a note earlier that said it takes this movie a whole while to, to get into being a monster movie. And it kind of feels like filler, like to pad the runtime, to make it qualify as a feature length film, as opposed to a short. Um, and I said, I'm not sure it'll pay off later, especially since all the filler is just really bland and generic. And it also feels weird since again, my, my perception of the movie was we started off as this is an evidence file, like a classified document. And, um, I still kind of hold true to that unless the way that I view the movie is the way you're supposed to like the way I'm viewing again, the way I'm viewing this movie is 60, 70 years from now. Somebody is taking a look at this incident. It's, it's one of the two. It's either somebody's taking a look at the incident to analyze the monster for military strategy, right? For military preparation, or it's a historian, you know, a, a future historian trying to figure out what did society look like. And now that we are safe to return you know, after whatever nuclear fallout to destroy, now we're safe to return to the surface. How can we, you know, rebuild what society was like, or how could we at least understand what society was like before this event? Maybe it's somebody doing a history project for, for something, I don't know, or presenting, presenting something to you know, the world. I don't, I don't know. Um, and so I feel like if the mindset is that is this is what life was like before this event, then I think uh, then I think that's that totally justifies the like 30 minutes before the monster actually shows up. But uh, 30 minutes out of like a movie that before credits was an hour and 14 minutes, <laughs> like yeah. a majority you know, of this runtime is uh, um, is not the monster. <laughs> sure. You know, it could be one of those two things. But the third option is it's also probably just the best corridor digital video ever. Because I feel like this is something they would do. Sure. Could be. Could be. Yeah, I think um I think the 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 stuff at the beginning probably does go on for too long in the overall runtime of the film. But I think, you know, if you started, you know, from the perspective you were describing, if this was a you know, military, let's say just an instructional or educational video after the fact, they probably would have just, it probably would have began with the inciting incident. There's an explosion, certainly the Statue of Liberty head hitting the ground. That's, that's really where things kind of are off and running. But I think the stuff at the beginning is important. Uh, you know, granted it, it, probably went on too long but i think it's important because you kind of get a sense of everybody's personality you get a sense of um the the two main characters beth and i, I forget the guy's name um yeah you know, i don't think it matters yeah <laughs> their relationship how they're kind of on the outs now but it it kind of speaks to his motivation throughout the trying to get to her he felt like, you know, he left things on bad terms and now, you know, the world's ending, um, or at least in his mind. And so that's kind of the driving factor to, you know, rather than just leaving, rather than finding the quickest exit, you know, there, there's got to be this agency on, you know, you spoke to, you know, the conceit of found footage is, you know, would someone really be recording this long or wouldn't they just turn off the camera? You know, so I think there has to be some agency given to why wouldn't they just turn off the camera and get out of the city 
as quickly as possible. You know, the thing that keeps them there is him trying to get to her and the friends rallying around him. So if you don't have that stuff at the beginning of the movie, kind of establishing relationships and, you know, not only his relationship with her, but all of the people around him, their relationship to him, if if they weren't close enough to him, they would have, you know, left him, you know, go try to find her and, and climb up this building and that's all you. But I think it was important to kind of establish, you know, that he was invested in her and would do anything to get back to her and that these people around him um, would be willing to, in, in the face of something this dangerous and unprecedented, they'd be willing to stick it out with him as well for as long as they did. I think also too, you know, because everyone pretty much starts to and and drops off before the end of the film in different ways. If you just started right into action, you know, you wouldn't have enough time to to care about these characters or um, really even, you know, learn their names or faces before they were taken out in various ways. So, um, and and I think it, it, again, probably went on too long, but it's it's such a juxtaposition from a very normal night um, in these, you know, 20-somethings lives to something completely opposite that. Um, so I, I always thought that was cool. And then to your point, too, about you know, the reason for this and the, and the, um, you know, there's a moment on the bridge, you know, where he sees the other person recording, you know, one of the other characters actually asks him, you know, what your question was basically like, what are you doing? We're trying to evacuate. What are you doing? Still recording this. Um, and he says, you know, people are going to want to know how this all went down, you know, and, 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 you know, the main character says at the end of the movie, when they're recording kind of their final, testimonial their final goodbye they were like if you're watching this you have more information about this whole thing than we do in 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 the present moment um so for no other reason than that i think that was kind of their reason for you know this is an event that's going to be studied you know for decades and if we can play a small part in telling the story of what happened tonight you know then we'll keep the camera rolling so for for as is as you know, tenuous reasons as found footage movies typically have to to keep rolling, you know, when it should be there's something scary happening or there's something bad happening, just put the camera down and run. You know, I think documenting an event this big is as good of a justification as any to why, you know, they would just keep recording. So <clears throat> Okay. Um I, I wanted to point out to, uh, or I wanted to ask real quick, um, is the last that we see of Marlene, her being taken away to the quarantine zone or Marlena? Yes. And okay. so, um, she was bit in the subway tunnels. Yes. Um, and it's, it's funny in this movie, the first watching it, there are several, well, did this character die or it all happened so quick and the camera's shaky, um, in her scene, if you watch it, if you... Once you know to look for it, you can see it in real time, but especially in frame by frame. Um, when they when they make it to, I don't know if it's a mall or something just off of the subway, um, they pass a body of someone, like their stomach, their whole torso area is just kind of gone. It's it's burst, basically. Um, and when the, the military personnel recognize that her eyes are bleeding and they recognize that she was bitten they take her behind a curtain and if you watch again frame by frame helps but she expands like a balloon and she just pops and so that's 
that's the end of her. Um, so whatever the, these, the little, you know, crab-like creatures that, that scab onto the monster and fall off, if they bite you, something in their saliva or whatever, you're, you're on borrowed time at that point and you will eventually blow up um, okay. from the inside. So yeah, that was... <laughs> That was her exit for sure. I'm I mostly meant to ask because like I, I feel like there's a there's a moment like at the at the very end where it's just the last two characters and like they're they're documenting and they're saying like all our friends are dead and and all of them like died or whatever. And I'm just like sitting there like, do we actually know what happened to her? Mm-hmm. And again, thinking of like potential like would love to see this one event from different vantage points. Like I would love to see like maybe there's a new movie that has just started with her taken to the quarantine zone. Sure. And, I guess even if she does swell up and pop like a balloon, like make that just a little part of the movie, you know, or make that the inciting incident for, for whatever. Like, like I think, like again, I was just thinking like that could be a really interesting uh, parallel movie, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. It, it would be awesome to see another movie happening, and you see a glimpse of these characters' night, you know, from another, you know, very like Back to the Future too. You're, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're seeing a scene you know very well. Um, but you're seeing it from another perspective. Um, I think that would be very cool. And there's so many points, there's so many moments in this movie where, like you're saying, could be the the branch and the beginning of another movie, um, which you could then, with this one being the, the, the original, a sequel could hit the ground running without 30 minutes at a party and everything. Because you, yes, yes, yes. you know the event, you know the... And you could just at one of these jumping off points start right in. I, I think that would be very cool. Um, I want to say also real quick, I, I, I know this movie has been pretty notorious about like, you don't actually see the monster very much, but I saw it a lot more than I ever thought. Um, like I was expecting like, you know, the brief glimpses that we get at the beginning, um, like to be pretty much it like, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Um, so um, yeah, I just, I was kind of surprised by that. And like, also, like, happy because the creature looks really cool. <laughs> um, like, really terrifying. So, um, but yeah, like, I, I just, reputation for this movie is you barely see the monster. And I'm like, there's a close-up of the monster, like, breathing in the main character, like, breathing in the camera lens. Like, I think <laughs> right before it kills TJ Miller, I think. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, anyway. Um, and I have one more question to ask you guys about this movie. What do you think this movie is actually about? Uh, just a bunch of friends trying to get out of a, an attack of new. That's my simple about. Okay. Fair. 100%. It is about that. Um, yeah, I'd say it's about, I mean, very surface level. It's a, it's a, it's a monster attack on a very recognizable place. Um, but I think it's about, you know, the relationships of, of these people and the things that they're willing to do even when faced with something so massive and so dangerous, um, they're willing to work together and um, cross what for them is, I'm sure, a very familiar place that instantly becomes very unfamiliar and unrecognizable. Um, and they're having to, you know, traverse this area in, in a way they never have before. So I, I think it's just about these relationships and surviving this attack. Um, okay, so I, um, 
was looking through letterbox reviews and something came across that kind of confirmed one thing that I was thinking. Uh, but I wanted to point out a couple. So uh, one of the fellow Civ Pop writers, Adam, uh, goes by Curb Rider on, on his handles, um, just saw this movie for the first time, uh, or it says rewatched, uh, in January in January this year. And he said he couldn't help but feel that this movie is a metaphor for cancer, a beast that takes over and kills cells. The body tries to fight back, but in a losing battle. And the only way to try to combat is to bomb it to hell like uh, chemotherapy. And I think like that's a really interesting take for the movie. Um, so I was, but I was scrolling through just like public reviews, people I don't necessarily follow. And first of all, um, one of the best reviews, it says uh, the best part of this movie is when TJ Miller shuts the hell up. But um, <laughs> um but i had there was this moment early on in the movie that really caught me off guard i was trying to find the quote i can't remember it exactly um but it it says something along the lines of um like um it's it's when the monster first attacks and like they think maybe it's a terrorist attack right um where is this moment anyway um trying to find it in imdb quotes and i can't that's okay but there's this moment in the film early on where they say where they essentially say something like they think it's a they think it's a bomb Mm -hmm. um right and i think it's so intentional that this movie takes place in new york um and i thought this movie came out earlier than it did i thought this was like 2004 or 5 not 2008 (laughs) um but i um I I made a note here early on that says, I don't think that the fact that this movie it takes place in New York is an accident. Um, and so I've come to view this movie. I've been thinking about this a lot. I saw this like two or three days ago. So I've been thinking about this a lot as I think this is Matt Reeves trying to make a movie that depicts 9-11 without actually depicting 9-11. Um, and so the top letterbox review says, this is still the best film ever made about 9-11, about the 21st century. It's an unparalleled expressionist masterpiece. Um, people talk about it's don't show the monster technique from Jaws, but it's closer to Lovecraft than anything else, which I do agree with that. Um, furthermore, it's the, uh, it's an idea wholly indebted to the film's own era. We're afraid of what we don't know, what we can't see. Uh, we're afraid, uh, films like war of the worlds come to mind, uh, or come close to touching on post nine 11 anxiety. So potently, but the first ever perspective gives Cloverfield the edge, um, putting a single, putting us as a single subjective point of view. Uh, accentuates the terror of everything we can't see or understand. And it goes on to just explain. I think that's a really interesting way of looking at this film. And I think like, again, I I just initially thought like, I don't think it's an accident that this film takes place in New York. And then that review just making so much sense and really kind of bringing the movie together for me. Cause I think I was with you, Alex, where I thought this movie was just okay when it ended. And then the like the more I've sat with that idea about this is Matt Reeves trying to document 9-11 without, you know, documenting planes crashing into buildings. I mean, this is about people who are having a normal day and then all of a sudden there's some big event that to quote the line you quoted earlier, they say, we don't you will know more about this event than we do. Um, and I've got to go back and save my friend and. Uh, you know, military coming in and like kind of being a force or like first responders. Um, you know, there is a giant monster in the city that day. It's just not a giant monster, literally. Um, yeah, I that 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 was the connect. Reading this person's review was the thing that really kind of brought this whole movie together for me. So, um, I just wanted to throw that out there. That's when I moved into the liked it camp. I'd be really interested to watch it in the future. Um, kind of with that mindset going in. So. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I've, I've never heard that comparison. Made. I haven't either. Yeah, I like and again, the only things I'd heard about this movie was it's it's well made. Like it got Matt Reeves like uh, his jump start into into filmmaking again, and uh, 
Um, we should all be grateful for that. I didn't even realize until as I pulled it up that Drew Goddard was a writer for it. Um, love that. Um, cause that also means he got his launch. Um, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, like I, I just surprised because it, it feels right there, you know, cause again, that one line just kind of threw me off of like, um, it, and, and again, I thought this movie released closer to 9-11. So that was uh, like, a, like 2003 or four, but so anyway, that I just wanted to say that really connected to the movie for me and made me appreciate it just much more. I mean, this is a story of people trying to survive a terrible attack. Yeah. I think this is, I am out of notes officially. I had a lot of notes for this one. Um, so anything else about the movie before we move on? Uh, no, I don't really have anything. Oh, cool. That covers it. On to 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um, a young woman held in the underground bunker by a man who uh, insists that a hostile event has left the surface of the earth uninhabitable. Directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who recently did Prey um, as well. Starring John Goodman, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and John Gallagher Jr. as the three that we encounter in the basement. Um, also, Bradley Cooper cameoing here um, as the voice of the boyfriend in the cell phone in the beginning. Um, so... Um, Screenplay by Josh Campbell, Matt Stockton, and Damien Chazelle. My favorite fun fact. Um, director of La La Land. Same year as La La Land came out. Also had a screenplay credit for 10 Cloverfield. Love that. He's got like this and like The Last Exorcism Part 2 that are both like, what? Um, so now I'm like really wanting to see a Damien Chazelle thriller. <laughs> that to be his next movie. Uh, thriller with a jazz score. Anyway. Um, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, history with this movie, Alex, you were the one that picked it. So you get to start off with your history with this movie and out of the thousand some odd movies you could have picked. Why did you pick this one? Uh, my history with 10 Cloverfield Lane is just like everybody else. I didn't know that it existed whenever they showed that trailer. Just, it came out of the blue. It wasn't at the Super Bowl like Paradox was, but, uh, it was earlier, uh, early in 2016 and it got a lot of us, you know, scratching our heads, but also excited at the same time because Overfield hadn't been around since 2008. Um, on top of that, instead of a found footage movie, transition like a traditional storytelling uh, style. And uh, I picked it because uh, it is one of my favorite thrillers of all time. Uh, this movie came out right when I was really getting in, really getting into cinema. Typically, I only ever made the trips of a blockbuster or something. And I guess you kind of count this, but I mean, this is more contained thriller. And I just remember like dra- getting uh, dragging my brother to take me to see this because I was like, this is just different. We don't typically go see stuff like this. And uh, yeah. Okay. Um, and Jonathan, what's your brief history with this one? I remember a teaser for this as well. Um, much like Cloverfield came out of nowhere. Um, but unlike Cloverfield at the end, um, gave a title card and I loved it. I thought that this was a traditional sequel in some way, shape or form to Cloverfield. So I was really excited by that. Um, obviously come to find out exactly what it was. I still love the movie. Um, I don't think it benefits from or, or needed to be at all associated to to Cloverfield at all. You know, J.J. Abrams describes it as like a spiritual successor and it's kind of in this, you know, rather than just calling them J.J. Abrams monster movies, you know, they're going with this Cloverfield kind of banner. But I don't, I don't think it, it, it benefits from that at all. I, I think it, it, it stands on its own merits and, you know, by any other name, I think it would have been as successful and it, told um a compelling enough story that i don't think 
you needed to weight it down with, well, what is this? And is it a sequel? And I, I think when it came out, you know, b- the months leading up to it, and even after it came out, people, that was a question people had. Well, how is this related? Or how is this? And it was just a shame that it couldn't be more focused on this movie. Um, I think this movie deserved um, to be the focus and not, well, how does it fit into the overall picture? Um, so I don't think it needed that. And I, I think it would have been maybe even stronger if it was its own thing. But I, I don't think a lot of time needed to be invested in how does this fit in this? Because it doesn't. It's it's Yeah. It's kind of the, a monster movie, and, and that's the only tenuous connection, but I don't think it needed to be weighed down with comparisons to a movie that it doesn't connect to at all. Um, sure. So I, 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 but I, I love the movie. I think it's great. Um, I just had a thought then. Um, if, if Cloverfield is the J.J. Abrams monsterverse, does that mean that Super 8 is a Cloverfield film? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, I saw this movie once when it came out, I picked it up from family video because it uh, had a bunch of reviews and uh, like a a bunch of good reviews. So I just rented it when it came out or maybe like bought it like what used Blu-ray for dirt cheap and, um, really, really, really liked the film. Um, but just kind of saw it as one of those, like I needed to downsize my collection a little bit. Um, and, uh, just saw it as one of those films that I really liked, but had a hard time believing I would ever watch it again. Um, so I put it in the cell pile. And um, when I wanted to watch Cloverfield and uh, Figure Ten Cloverfield Lane as well, there's a multi-pack Blu-ray, so uh, I rebought it. Um, and I feel like I was wanting to watch this movie again. Uh, not one that I see myself watching frequently, but um, yeah. Uh, so I've only seen it once in 2016, and then last night uh, on the like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, think it's just okay scale. Um, Jonathan, you say you love this one as well. Um. You know, in fairness to Cloverfield, which I I definitely holds a more special place in my heart, I will say um, I like this one. I I, I really like this one. Um, okay. Yeah. And Alex, where do you land on that scale? Ooh, I really love this movie. I can't wait to get into it. Okay. Um, I did not like this movie as much as the first time. I think the first time I watched it, I would have been low side of loved it. I think I'm just like kind of exactly where I am with Cloverfield, just in the middle of liked it. Uh, I think this is a much better made film than Cloverfield. I think if the argument is what's the better film, absolutely this one, um, especially when you take into fact performances because um, John Goodman and Mary Elizabeth Winstead are just excellent. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with just a firm liked it. Um, I think I had more issues with it this time, but, uh, and maybe it was the time of day that I watched them both. I mean, both of the, I watched both of these, like started them at like 10 30 PM on a weeknight and, um, neither of them like entirely held my attention. Um, there was a spot of the first Cloverfield that I was ducking out a bit. Uh, and there was a spot here, but I, I, th- I seen it. I knew where it was going and I just don't know that this movie held up on a rewatch. For me. Um, still really good. Still really liked it or still liked it. So, um, yeah, this is not a Blu-ray that is going in my cell pile now, like Tombstone did. Uh, where do we want to start off with? I did not write down any notes with because I have like three thoughts. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure I'm sure I'll have more things to say, but I have a few things. So, Alex, why don't you kick us off? All right. Uh, as we already mentioned, Damien Chazelle also has a writing credit on this for the screenplay. I really uh, thought that was a little... Uh, and we also already went over the fact that Bradley Cooper has uh, a small cameo in the opening movie. Mm-hmm. And I like that uh, I don't believe in the actual film's credits they list him. I think it's just on the IMD that you hear it. But uh, it's, it's a small thing, but 
Bradley Cooper, I just want to take two seconds because we all know that he voices Rocket in uh, the Guardians movies. I really appreciate that uh, when he's voicing Rocket Raccoon, he's not doing just Bradley Cooper. He puts in effort because this is just Bradley Cooper, and you very clearly tell the distinction there. But uh, this movie, uh, for me, the the thing I walk away loving the most is hands down John Goodman. I can't tell if the character was written completely to have his style of acting choice, but whatever he's doing, I I love it to death. It's he helps make this movie like feel weirdly like a comfort movie but at the same time completely uncomfortable i can't place it but it's a good time every time i check it out okay um that's all i got for right now okay um i i just want to kick off this i guess because that's kind of where i ended cloverfield which is what is this movie actually about um to me this movie is about somebody escaping a toxic relationship um a a woman escaping an abuser and i don't i don't know that that's an original thought i think it's pretty i think it's I think it's pretty clear in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, like, I, I, cause I get the sense like in that, in that initial scene too, where she like leaves the ring and, and ditches town. Like that's pretty obvious. Like she's leaving for some reason. What is it about? And it's, it's left vague and ambiguous, but like I get the feeling that Ben is a manipulator. Right. And uh, the whole movie is about her being manipulated by John Goodman. And he's given an incredible performance. And I love how the movie kind of takes twists and turns where you're like, I understand where he's coming from. Hold on. He's a psychopath. All right. But he's right. Hold on. Maybe he's not like, I like how the movie, like even on a rewatch, you're like, I know where this movie ends. I know that there is actually something out there that is dangerous, but I still want her to get out because her being with him is a bad idea. Um, If it's her and Emmett in the bunker, fine. Right. Um, Like the, the threat is not necessarily the outside world. It's the inside world. And, um, and sure it would be fine if they got out, um i mean i guess not really like if if they got out and the place didn't blow up she'd probably just crawl right back in but all right i guess we're not going out yet emmett and i will just live a happy little life down here for a bit but uh anyway yeah i i I view this movie as um escaping a toxic abusive relationship and um watching it kind of in this in this frame this time was just um again helpful um really kind of brought some of the movie into perspective perspective for me i think it's a little too long um it's it's only an hour 45 but i feel like there's a solid 15 minutes to cut in there um um that would be that would make the movie just a little tighter a little keep keep the suspense going um but yeah um that's kind of my initial thought jonathan what's your opening statement (laughs) (laughs) um i tend to agree with that i think um you know it, it very much about is about surviving and escaping an abusive relationship i think at the jumping ahead to the, to the end i think in addition to just surviving um or having survived this situation um when michelle's in the car she's presented with a choice by a voice on the radio um and she's you know given an out um if if you can make it to baton rouge you know head that way you'll be mm-hmm. safe. Um, but she's also given the choice if you have any medical or combat training um, to instead head to Houston. Um, and I love that yeah. because anytime Houston is mentioned in a movie <laughs> and it has nothing to do with NASA, like I, I appreciate that. <laughs> but um, so I, I think that points to the fact that, you know, not only did she escape this abusive, toxic uh, situation, but she's, um, 
stronger for it. Not necessarily she needed to go through that or, or it justifies it in any way, but she came out the other side stronger. And so she makes the decision to um, not just seek um, safe haven in Baton Rouge, but she's like, you know, here's the situation I was just in. And now I actually wrestled with one of these things and came out victorious. So I'm going to head where I could potentially um, help others. And you see that so often in um, domestic violence or abusive situations where, you know, people who have come out the other side of that often end up working for advocating for other people in that situation. So I think it's really telling at the end where rather than just having survived it, um, she decides that the very next best thing she can do is um, go be useful to others who might not necessarily be in a bunker, but be dealing with obviously the, the greater threat overall. Um, so I think that was was uh, important. What's interesting about um, everything after the bunker, I think if it wasn't included, people would have complained like, well, we never find out, you know, was, um, was Howard justified? Was it all in his head and just a means to keep you know, these people underground, um, if it was left up to the viewer, I think um, people would have been upset. Um, but I think it also isn't, nece- I, I don't know that it's necessary. I mean, not only did, they, did she get out of the bunker, but then we, we just hard left turn into something, um, you know, so not what, you know, the first 90% of the movie was about. Um, I, I like it. You know, I, I, I like science fiction and stuff, but I wonder how off-putting that was to some people. Who, if I, I think it's a lot to say, enjoy this very insular, um, very self-contained story about one thing, about an abusive, toxic relationship, and then, but also enjoy this very different genre um, at kind of at the end. Um, so while I I enjoyed it, um, I I often wonder how effective that was because you're asking to to buy into two very different stories all at once. Um, but it, it's interesting to me. I'm I'm glad that she got out and we see what the threat was. Um, it was unexpected. Um, for me, for sure. But I often wonder, you know, if they had cut it off, if she had got out and roll credits, you know, how that would have played, um, if it would have been just as strong to leave it up to the viewer's imagination, or if you needed that kind of explanation at the end. So. I think this movie is much better if it ends in one of two spots, either the moment that she steps out mm-hmm. um, and we're kind of left to wondering. I mean, but I feel like there's enough context clues in the beginning to know that there is clearly something going on, right? Sure. Because of the, because of the pigs and because the lady that's trying to get in, like, I feel like there's enough for us to piece together that yes, Howard is right, but he's, he's, he's not, he's right. that There's something he's not right that there's you know nuclear fallout or whatever, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's enough for us to piece together that, there is danger out there, but she is willing to explore the danger out there as opposed to the danger in here. And again, if this is, in my opinion, um, a a film about leaving a toxic relationship, there is still danger out there in whatever next relationship she pursues. But there's a chance of that versus the guaranteed danger that is inside. So, um, so I think that would be a great ending. Just she opens the door, steps outside. Um, that'd be a great ending. Another great ending place you could put it is the moment where um, she cuts her her shower curtain and then like she struggles to um, to 
to like duct tape it real quickly and then quickly realizes if the air was toxic, I would have been killed. And then she sees the birds fly and then takes off her mask. I think you end it when she takes off her mask and just let her breathe in the air for a second. I think it's a really great, really powerful because it says, yes, there was something wrong with the world, but it is healing. Um, so um, the other the other place I think you can end it um, is the moment where she where um, the she's standing on top of the truck and then there's the 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 explosion and then the alien ship drops something and she just goes oh shit cut to black right there um i think any one of those three endings would have been better than the actual ending that we got uh, and i like the ending like I, I thought it was really well done i just think it just wasn't needed right that feels like the alternate ending because it, it doesn't it, it doesn't really fit the story it's trying to tell um and again also if we don't see the monster we can't confirm you know like and, and again if this takes place in let's say upstate new york and they needed a new Manhattan to to take care of that original monster. Like it, it just ties in a little bit better with that first movie. So, um, but I think I think to me the perfect ending of this movie would have been um, if they would have cut it right when uh, right when she sees the birds fly and takes off her mask. I think that would have been great. So, um, but yes, I like I I agree. It just feels weird. Alex, how do you feel about the ending? Since you really love this movie, uh, that's a great question. Because for the last seven years, I've been asking myself how I feel about the ending of this movie. Because I know I don't like it like i love this movie but the ending is the only part where i'm not as strong on and to tell you the truth i i just don't know what i would really prefer here because a part of me kind of likes it ending as soon as she gets out or you know takes the mask off it is able to reflect all that stuff but um but yeah it does take quite a left turn like the truck being picked up and you know the launching of the molotov cocktail like right on in there like it's, yeah, it's cool yeah, it's it's cool, which I like the scenery and stuff. It's just yeah, as as much as everything else and suspenseful as everything else is, it just feels to- just odd. The only thing I don't like about that ending is we don't get that last second of um the of of the radio, you know, go to go north to stay safe and go to uh, go to Baton Rouge to stay safe and go to Houston to fight back. Like the only thing I don't like about cutting it earlier is we don't get that moment. Um, and I think with yeah, what true. the with what the movie's theme is, um, that's kind of like a really great point to end on. But uh, like it, it kind of gives more, it, it empowers her more, right? Again, especially if this is a movie about a toxic relationship, then it empowers her more to say that you know I'm I'm not gonna sit here and just let this keep happening. I'm gonna take a stance and um, and fight back against it. Um, but I think it it just makes her a little bit more of a badass as opposed to. Again, if I say if I say we cut it off when um, when when she takes the mask off, like there's still other themes and messages you can pull from that um, in relationship to the the overarching theme. But um, um, it's it's maybe a little less prominent or it's maybe like a little bit less empowering, I guess would be the right word. Um, so the only like the only reason I say keep that final monster scene is because then you give you know, she's she's now fought and killed this monster. We get the assumption that there's a lot more of these because there wouldn't just be the one um and they're looking for fighters everywhere so you got i get the sense that there's significantly more meaning uh um yeah now she now she gets to go join the front lines and i think that's cool so i think it's interesting that whereas cloverfield probably took a little bit too long to get to the inciting incident from the beginning of the movie to to where things really kick off this movie kind of um jumped into an inciting incident but kind of left really great part of the movie behind to do so so you know one one of the films 
um, took too long to get there, and then one probably could have cut short before getting um, to. Are you, are you talking about getting to the monster fight? Yeah, basically. Okay. Um, you know, one probably could have gotten there sooner, and then the other probably could have done without it and been just as great. Um, yeah. So that that's pretty interesting, but um, yeah. And anyway, the ending I, um, notwithstanding. Yeah, and I. I mentioned too, we can cut probably 15 minutes out of this movie. And look, if you cut off that last 10 minutes or so, I'm I'm not even including that. Like, I think, I think this movie does a really good job of like, again, making us go back and forth in, in both thinking Howard is probably correct, but also insane. Um, but like, it, it just took, took a little bit too long for me to get to the, like, let's just, let's just imagine this is real for a second, right? Let's just play along with this. And you know, Howard is crazy. And, and he is well-intentioned, but he is a psychopath, um, it, especially later confirmed when, you know, we find out that the, uh, you know, he kidnapped the one girl. Like, this is definitely not a place you want to be. Um, he has killed people before. And uh, yeah, it's just a matter of time before he kills you. Right. So but like, I get that it takes it takes a lot to get to that point, um, to get to that point of uh, of willing to be like, all right, like there probably is something wrong out here and sure this guy is something's not right about him but he is trying to do i just i don't know i feel like the movie just spent spent a little too much time there and then and then as soon as she's and then probably between between when she eventually resides to when she sees the help like probably cut a little bit out of there um it just felt like there was moments that like a movie like this should have my attention throughout and it just just didn't um i i don't know how to again maybe i watched it too late at night but I do remember feeling that way the first time I saw the movie too, like just a little bit shorter in the actual bunker. Um, but that's, I, I think it's all down to preferences and I'm sure that there are people that would say, I think the movie is edited perfectly and they would be probably totally, they would be totally justified in saying that. So the movie, I think, I don't think overstays it. Welcome. I would just prefer a nice crisper, shorter, faster film. Right. So especially since that first Cloverfield was like barely feature length film. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Um. Yeah, I I really think I'm out of things to say. That's all I got. Yeah, like this is for sure the better made film, but I'm more likely to watch Cloverfield. Um, partly because of the dark nature of this, the you know the subject matter. It's, it this is not as rewatchable as a film, but sure. yeah, I just I don't know that it held up on a rewatch for me as much as I thought it would. I I was really hoping to come back or to come away from it and be like, okay, I really loved this movie because I was like on the low side, I loved it the first time, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I put them equal now. I mean, in terms of like how much I enjoyed them, but this is for sure the better made film. But I'm probably gonna pick the first Cloverfield to watch more, especially if you're saying all those Easter eggs are in there, Jonathan. Like, yeah. uh, um, I'd be really excited to watch this, kind of knowing where it's going with a more close eye and turn on the audio commentary and stuff like that. So, uh, any final thoughts or anything before we move on? I'm good. Yeah, like you said, I, I ten Cloverfield Lane is a better movie. Or better shot movie, and it's it's interesting too that the performances are all better, um, like very engaging, very intense. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, it's I, I think it's well done, and it's it, you know it's difficult I think to keep an audience captivated with so few characters and such a small setting, and it it pulls that off really well. Yeah, um, as. Um, somebody who you just now heard my thoughts. Um, would you recommend I watch the Cloverfield Paradox? No. 
Would you recommend anybody watch the Cloverfield Paradox? Well, I you might see it just out of curiosity, but in relation to these two, like you liked both of them well enough. Again, there's there's so a nothing connection there that I wouldn't mm-hmm. say, well, if you've seen these two, you have to check out this one because the stories don't connect at all. It's it's interesting enough, but um, what I remember reading at the time was that Cloverfield Paradox, I think, was a, a movie originally called Paradox. It might have had a, even a different title. And it wasn't until they decided to, how can we get the most people watching this thing? I know. Let's say it's bundled into this uh, established universe, I guess, which it's not even that. But this this lineage of, of these Cloverfield films, how can we shoehorn it into that? And and like I said, I, the, the, the very last few frames of this movie, or, or of Cloverfield Paradox, feel kind of tacked on to have some kind of um, interconnected thread there. But no, based on you know your feelings on these two movies, I wouldn't say you need it or... Even to be, you know, a completionist, there's nothing there that that ties any of these characters. There's no mention of characters from the other film. It's it's completely its own thing, other than the name, really. So okay, I probably will check this out at some point, just because I am kind of a completionist, and I'm curious, especially like J.J. Abrams has said there is a plan to bring to connect all the Cloverfield movies together at some point. Um, there is currently, like in development, a Cloverfield sequel that is a proper sequel to the original film, but that was announced in January 2021, and so like there's a chance that movie never comes out. Um, sure. But um, yeah, uh, but like I do feel like one day, like it will all kind of be tied together. Um, I do believe that at least. I feel like if it were to be anything, it would be the true sequel. But um, so I'm probably gonna watch it only as a completionist. But I guess maybe that's good to know that like watch it in the background while I'm cooking or something, you know, for sure. Well, inspired by 10 Cloverfield lane, we are going to list our best ever contained movies, movie that takes place in mostly one setting. We can kind of discuss which of these actually belong in this category, which ones are a little bit of stretches. Um, uh, we will do top five with Trump rules. So, uh, we'll, we'll each do our number five. If you have it listed hires, you know, you trump it, you play the trump card, and uh, we will talk about it, whoever has it the highest. Uh, and then when we're done, uh, we will get a chance to say any honorable mentions that we have. Honorable mentions, as a reminder, are just the title of the movie. We don't really get to talk about them too much, unless they are like, like you've never heard of this movie. Um, and I want to give you like a, like a little bit. But number five to number one, um, I'm going to kick us off here. Um, so I was doing, uh, like some looking around. I had a few movies that were in my head that I thought were going to be my top five. This is not one I considered, but I think it counts. Cause then I Googled, um, uh, f- uh, the contained films, films that take place in one setting. Um, and by the way, also, I think none of these movies are really going to feel like the same as 10 Cloverfield lane. Uh, there's a few, but like, yeah, I think mostly, mostly one setting. So, um, the, my number five is die hard. Uh, not one of, I would, I would ever thought of myself, but as soon as I saw that, I'm like, yeah, I mean, cause as soon as John, like the only thing of John, not at Nakatomi Plaza is the limo ride there and the, um, uh, the, the, the plane ride, which is just like a two minute scene of him scrunching his toes on the carpet. Um, but like then it's, it's all in Nakatomi Plaza. His wife is there. I mean, the only thing we see outside of that is the reporter going to see the kids and 
I, look, I, I think that what like ninety two percent of this movie takes place in Nakatomi Plaza, which is a large building, but it is one location. So, um, Die Hard's my number five. Nice. Uh, let's go in the order. I have them on screen. So, Jonathan, you'll go next. My number five is Misery, based on the Stephen King Ooh, novel. Good call. Um, most all is in that house in that bedroom um there are a few scenes when you know kathy bates character goes to get paper a few other things with the i think the local sheriff who's trying to find him but um yeah really i mean certainly performances in a movie that sticks with you one scene in particular um and uh yeah i think it i think it fits yeah great movie didn't uh didn't think about it but totally fits (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right alex what's your number five so I don't have a number five. I couldn't really find one. So I'll just wait until the next rotation. Okay. That's fine. As soon as I start listing some off, I'm sure you're going to have a number five. You'll be like, oh, shoot. How did I not have that on my list? <laughs> my number four is Alien. Um, not one that I initially thought. But yes, the entirety of that movie takes place on the ship. So it counts. Um, so uh, Alien's my like favorite straight horror film of all time. Like just horror, not horror comedy or anything like that like cabin in the woods is my favorite but like just straight horror movie aliens my favorite of all time i think it's excellent so um lands in my number four spot what's your number four jonathan mine is 127 hours Um, oh i haven't seen this one yeah um so this is obviously uh based on a true story of a climber all-around adventurer who um gets trapped uh, his arm under a boulder in, uh, I think it's Blue John Canyon in Utah. Um, and spoiler alert, it's in the title. Uh, he's trapped for 127 hours. And it's this is James Franco playing the character. And the 90% of the movie, it's just him. Um, kind, kind of found footage in the way that the majority of the movie is him uh, recording himself. Um, it does break that convention um, as a normal movie as well, but so much of it is uh, his handheld camera on himself and kind of talking through his situation, ultimately coming to terms that he's, you know, this is probably it for him and, and how he ultimately survives and gets out. But really, really great, compelling movie. And for him to pull off one location that is incredibly cramped and it all relies on him like he really knocks it out of the park nice uh alex you're number four then at number four i've got james wan's saw the very first one from i believe 2000 uh i've talked to death about this movie on the podcast but just real quick uh something about this movie and you know its sequels at least the the majority of the sequels are hit or miss but this one in particular i love just how confined it is and, you know, it's these two characters that have a link between each other. And the more they spend time, the more they find out their secrets and how they're brought together. Um, and I, again, um, I love Tobin Bell's Jigsaw. I love that uh, he became a staple movies moving forward. And as much as I'm a little hesitant about this new Saw movie we've got coming out, he is very much the reason they're opening night to see them. Yeah. Nice. nice. Uh, really like that movie. Honorable mention for me. Um, my number three, I hope somebody trumps this, is 12 Angry Men. Okay. Um, it feels like this should be a number one on most lists. Um, and again, if we're talking best films made, probably yes. Uh, I love this film. Obviously, it's it's excellent. If anybody has seen it, you know just how good it is. 
captivating performances, electric screenplay, um, incredible story. Just one of the best films ever made takes place entirely in a jury courtroom. So, um, or a a jury room in a court, um, uh, deliberation room, I think is what it is. So, uh, really, really, really excellent film. If you haven't seen it, um, it is an older movie. I mean, I've, I'm talking about the 57 version because that's the only one I've seen. Uh, it is well worth your time. It is the fourth highest rated film on IMDb and kind of deserving. So um, 12 Angry Men. Uh, and I hear the, the the remake is pretty good, too. I just haven't seen it. Uh, yep. Jonathan, what's your number three? My number three is a film called Coherence. Came out in 2013. Um, it's actually one I'm going to talk a little bit more about in a minute. Uh, something I'm going to point the people to. But um, it's eight friends at a dinner party. Um, one particular night and stuff happens really, really good film. I feel like, um, not many people have heard about or seen, but it's available on, uh, Amazon prime currently, I believe. Cool. Yep. Um, yeah, never heard of this one. So I'm excited to hear more about it later. Yeah. Uh, Alex, what is your number three? My number three is glass onion, uh, came out last year. So it's pretty recent. Um, it's rare that I'll watch a newer movie like this so many times, but I think I've seen about five times now because I enjoyed it that much. Um, <laughs> yeah. Really love that first knives out movie and uh, glass onion really hit perfect. Um, there's just something about the style and editing and the way that, uh, Ryan Johnson put these whodunits together. I love every single one of these characters, even the ones that I'm not supposed to just because of the actor elevated on the script. Um, and again, it is very recent, but I could see myself loving this one a whole lot more than uh, Knives Out as time goes on. Um, so it's a huge recommend for me. And if you didn't know, they just announced uh, yesterday that uh, they, Netflix released a commentary track for Glass Onion. And it's on there if you want to go listen to it. Oh, interesting. Um, for sure going to do that later. <laughs> um, yeah, this is one of those that like I kind of allowed Alex to pass on. Um Man, the more I think about it, the more I don't think I should have. Because, like, I was thinking, like, the th- the thing about it is, it it's it's pretty quick to where we get in the island, but once we're on the island, we're just we're there for the whole time. But then I'm like, but we're not, <laughs> like, uh, like, because at least like Knives Out, like, it starts off in the mansion, and the only times we ever see outside the mansion are Marta's apartment and um the uh the the the, the like DNA testing lab place that they they go to, um, but like. I feel like percentage-wise, there's more at the mansion in Knives Out than there is the island in Glass Onion. So anyway, one of those I should have allowed to pass, or I, I allowed to pass because this is a pretty slim um, uh, category, and um, that's fine. We'll allow, we'll allow a quick pass. Thank you. <laughs> Although if I had a time machine, I would go back and say, hey, don't. Um, <laughs> my number two is Ex Machina. Um, Trump. There we go. <laughs> uh what is your number two jonathan my number two is paranormal activity um this is another one kind of like saw that has spawned like six or seven sequels none as good as the, as the original and um you know i'm not one that's really scared by like monsters or or but it's like the less is more the what you don't see um that always get me gets me and this movie worked for me um, still works for me. I still get creeped out watching it all shot in a single house um, from just a couple, you know, vantage points. Um, and the, just the intent, the, 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 
the intensity and the, and the, the, the suspense just mounts the entire time. Re- really good movie. Nice. Uh, Alex. Uh, my number two is Kevin Smith's clerks. <clears throat> um, oh, didn't even think yeah, about that. Yeah. Um, it still amazes me that like how this really took off for Kevin Smith and how he just decided, all right, I'm just, I want to make a movie. So I'm just going to max out a bunch of credit cards, sell a bunch of stuff. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just keep working at this store until I pay all that off. And, uh, but yeah, I, I, I like whenever I used to talk about this movie, cause, uh, it, it's the ultimate relatable job working experience where if you've ever worked retail, you deal with these annoying, insane customers that like, if you told other people, people would be like, that person didn't exist. They didn't really today. And if you work in retail and customer service for the longest time, you get the wildest people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and on top of that, like the way that Dante and Randall talk to one another about movies, it's just pretty much every conversation that you have with just love film basically. And, yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Really good pick. I didn't even think about this. It totally counts. So, cause I think the only time they leave the store is to go to the funeral, right? That and the opening in Dante's uh, bedroom. Yeah, but that's barely. Um, yeah, barely. that's him getting called into work. Yeah. Um, yeah, because even like when they play hockey, it's on the roof because he's like, I can't leave. Yeah. So, yeah, good call. Um, Would have been my honorable mentions, but yeah. Um, So that leads to our number ones, yeah? Yeah. My number one is Rope. We talked about this on the podcast a while ago. It's my favorite Hitchcock film. It's entirely in an apartment, and um, I talked about it at length with Robert um, on an episode pretty early on in the goats, but um, I think Rope is an excellent film, and if you haven't seen it, you should really check it out. Nice. Uh, uh, that'll be your number one, Jonathan, which I think we know what it is. Yeah, my number one is Ex Machina. Um, just, you know, such a stylized look at where technology could go and such an interesting psychological thriller. Um, I I think a lot of these uh, one location films kind of lend themselves to what would I do in that situation. Um, And this is certainly one of them. And just watching the relationship develop between Alicia Vikander's character and essentially her creator and the guy who's there testing her and how everything builds and mounts and and where it all ultimately ends up going um just a and all in one location a stunning location um the the home is exactly my style that i could never afford but um just a really really great movie nice um Alex, what is your number one? I'm surprised that it hasn't been mentioned. Uh, my number one, we technically already talked about it. It's 10 Clover Lane. I don't know. Oh, okay. I won't go on for too long because we already just did a full review about it. But yeah, <laughs> it's like my jam. I love it. Love John Goodman. And I uh, love Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Who doesn't? So high recommend, of course. <laughs> yeah, I um, had the, uh, my list of honorable mentions, uh, but then took it off because I don't think it's quite up to the rest of things that I have listed here. Um, so, um, yeah. Um, especially the more we talked about it, the more I was like, ah, I don't think I like this movie uh, as much. But, yeah. Um, there you go. There's our number five to number ones. I'm going to list through the honorable mentions that I have here. And if I missed any, you guys feel free to fill in the blanks. Um, Lock was a really close one to being on my list. Um, so was Rear Window. Um, the Breakfast Club, which I didn't initially consider, but it's all of high school. Makes sense to me. Um, uh, dial M for murder. Another Hitchcock. It's three total Hitchcocks. 
um buried i think is a film i saw when it came out um and kind of like really liked it um probably do for a rewatch on that one um uh, snowpiercer again one i didn't consider but uh saw an article and i was like oh yeah for sure uh great movie called phone booth if you've never seen and this one i'm like i, I never initially th- saw it as counting but i'm gonna because an article listed it i'm gonna go ahead and say sure it probably counts um but one night in miami um i'll leave it up to the listener to decide whether that would count or not whatever it's honorable mention so it matters less and then i wanted to throw out one that i saw on a list that i'm like i'm sure this would make it if uh i'd seen it um and i'm sure there's somebody out there that's thinking that it's number one or whatever uh but my dinner with andre i've never seen it Mm. and i think would probably qualify um at least in honorable mentions up here so i wanted at least mention that one so uh anything i missed um, I didn't really think about it until you brought up Snowpiercer, but, uh, it's been, oh, so many years since I've seen it, but do you think source code would count? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I only just remember the train and then at the very ending when they get off. Yeah. I mean, that's... there's a, there's a little bit off of the train, but it's, it's, it's almost all on the train. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good one. I, yeah. I, I like that movie. Yeah. Me too. I love source code. Uh, anything else I missed? Um, on my list, I have... 1408 um, is a movie. Oh, yeah. Good call. All pretty much one room. And so, yeah. Um, I also had clerks on my honorable mentions. I have uh, Gravity on my honorable mentions. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. <laughs> and then Apollo 13. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then these three are admittedly kind of cheats, but they technically are all one location. So I have, but there are many locations within the one location. So I have Titanic. Um, I have, Oh I yeah, have, that counts for sure. Yeah. I have the shining. Um, yeah. And I have um, the Shawshank redemption, all great movies, but it was hard to say they were as insular as, you know, a this one is... or two room location. I mean, because then you could go to something like shutter Island or, yeah when you're when you know it is contained but there's so many varied locations within the one location um so that's why i put them in honorable mentions but all great movies um i think that's the right call is those are i mean i I feel like same rules probably apply for um die hard but like Mm -hmm. at least that's a more structured one singular building as opposed to shawshank is a plot of land that has multiple buildings sure um but yeah but like all those i think are really really great picks uh (laughs) Um, but I think putting them in honorable mentions is the right call. Sure. Um, but yeah, cause there's some of them that's like, eh, it probably could have cracked top five, you know, like Shawshank would have, would have for sure cracked my top five been my oh. number one, but, oh, absolutely. um, but it's really hard. Like when we think of contained stories, mm-hmm. it just depends on what your definition of contained is. Cause you, the only part that takes place not on the prison is the intro and the ending, like yeah. the, the, the prologue and the epilogue. Like, exactly. um, so yeah, maybe like it's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, no, Green Mile has enough outside of the prison, but um, yeah, it just it just depends on what your definition is. But yeah, I think I think putting those in honorable mentions is just perfect. And if you want to nitpick Die Hard, then throw Lock in at number five for me, and we'll throw we'll throw Die Hard in that honorable mention category. Um, nice. Yeah. All right, we did it. Um, yeah, I, I put that down there, and I you know because I was just like, oh yeah, rear window and uh, rope and. Um, 12 Angry Men. That should be pretty easy. And then I was like, what else is there? And started thinking some more and all that. But um, ultimately, I think some really good options, depending on how much you need to stretch the definition. But uh, sure. yeah, I, th- I guess I was also thinking there was more like singular location, like, you know, like 
like lock and but i would say i feel like especially having like seen cloverfield 10 cloverfield lane now and knowing that like it's an hour 40 minutes and probably 15 minutes takes place outside the bunker so well and then 10 minutes of credits so like yeah like a 80 percent of the movie takes place in the bunker so as long as your movie takes 80 percent in your one location i think we hit that yeah um, so it just leaves this spinoff. What is that one thing in any of your pop culture you want to check out or stay away from? Jonathan, you already started, so let's just continue your conversation. Sure. Um, so mine is a film called Coherence. It came out in 2013. And uh, it's it's a fascinating, really, really interesting movie. Um, so the director of this film, um, what was his name? Uh, James Ward by. Birkit? I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but look it up. It's really good. Um, so he had this idea to um, film a movie very quick without a script um, and just a basic general outline. So he called up just a few of his friends. Many of these people are complete, or at least were at the time. I, I can't speak to now, but complete unknowns. Um, and the movie is filmed in his home. And so the basic I won't give away too much because there's there's definitely some twists and turns to it that are all really fascinating. But um, the basic conceit of the movie is eight friends come together one night um, for a dinner party. And it happens to be the night that um, this famous comet is passing overhead. Um, so like I said, because there's no script, sometimes people are talking over one another. It, it feels very much just slice of life. Um, kind of things going on and this comet passes overhead um and they lose power into the home and um there's different relationships established i won't go into um you can see that in the film but power goes out and um they a few of them leave the home to go investigate and the entire neighborhood is pitch black um but there is a single home um in the neighborhood that still has power so they decide to approach the home and um there's no one inside, but they quickly see that this home is also set for eight guests, like the dinner table is also set. And um, so from there, I, again, I don't want to give too much away because there, there's a lot to unravel and figure out. Um, I will say that there's a scene involving um, glow sticks. Very odd, but there's a scene involving glow sticks that when you see it, everything just kind of clicks into place what is happening what they're going through um and it 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 really like i said a lot of these very insular movies it really lends itself to questioning what you would do in this situation because the characters themselves in the movie as they start to understand what is happening on this particular night um they all and vocally express to each other different ideas how they can get out of this situation or come to a resolution in this situation um so they kick around different ideas and they get to see um again without giving anything away they get to see how different um kind of ideas and and ways about going they get to see how they play out um in interesting ways um so like i said a movie that Anytime I talk about it with people, they've never really heard of. Um, it's mm -hmm. on Amazon Prime, but really, really good. And I, I feel like if it had been, you know, like a, a Blair Witch Project, something around that time, I think it would have gotten um, a lot more attention. It came out in 2013. You know, there, there's already so many different mo movies and TV shows and things to stream. I think it just kind of got lost in the mix, but it's really good. Um, it's It's not really 
I wouldn't say it's a scary movie. It's more of a psychological thriller and there's a mystery to unravel. Um, but its budget was only $50,000. Like I said, the director shot it with a group of friends who are, either, um, I, I think of them, a lot of them are like improv actors. So they could kind of just go with not having a script. They were all basically given a, a very basic outline um, to follow, but shot in his house, so very low budget, but really, really fascinating idea um, that I haven't, I, I can't think of an instance of another film where I've seen this idea kind of explored and especially the way it is explored in real time. And when you see it, you'll, you'll understand what I mean. Um, but just really, really unique film. I think more, more people should check out. Nice. Um, I will be sure to do that. I just added it to my letterbox list. Awesome. Um, uh, Alex, what about you? Um, I finally, uh, caught up with mythic quest. This is, uh, an Apple TV plus show that, uh, mm-hmm. it's the other reason why I keep Apple TV plus aside from Ted Lasso. And, uh, this is from a couple of the writers from it's always sunny. And it even has Rob McElhenney as one of the meads. And you've also got, uh, I, I feel bad cause I did, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this actress's name, uh, Charlotte Nakato, I think uh, her last name is, um, they're both two, uh, video game designers who built like a world of Warcraft type of game. That's like super successful and popular, but like, it's, it's also gone on for so long. They're like, what else do we do at this point? And, uh, they just wrapped up season three and, um, there's a there's a fun story arc where they're trying to adapt the game into a movie. So they get like Joe Man- uh, Joe Manganiello to play himself to be in the movie that they're making, and he's wanting to take so much creative control. They're like, we gotta stop this guy, but like he's Joe Manganiello. He's like huge. He'll probably kick our ass if we tell him to stop. <laughs> so uh, it's a lot of fun stuff, and you got people like Ashley Birch in here and. Uh, um david hornsby who plays rickety cricket from it's always sunny he's pretty uh great and fun and uh danny pewty like it's an all-star cast that i i highly recommend uh takes a little bit in that first season for me to jump on board but um it's a high recommend gotten a chance to check it out nice nice uh, I mentioned last week that uh, my wife and I had about 90 minutes to watch an action movie, and uh, so we turned on the first Crank movie, um, which is a movie that I have very fond memories of because it came out when I was in middle school. And uh, I kind of like the movie, even though it is terrible, and it and it definitely has dated itself in more than 10 ways. Um, but I still had a good time, um, and this week we watched Crank 2 because same situation. We had about 90 minutes. And she wanted something action-y, and so I said, well, this is an option, and we enjoyed the first one enough. And I remember Crank 2 coming out when I was in high school, and I hated every second of it. And after watching it this week, I can confirm it is in my top three least favorite movies of all time. Oh, wow. I hate this movie. So, um, I'm not, look, in the context of what I'm saying, I'm not recommending Crank unless, like, you, you need a very dumb, willing to overlook a lot of, like, things that are should be overlooked um adrenaline ride first crank is not a bad watch um oh and also can withstand like certain like editing styles uh but crank 2 is is just 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 terrible um and way more offensive um there's a character that they give full body Tourette syndrome to for no reason at all other than to laugh at him and it's you don't laugh at that um so yeah um anyway um officially me saying crank 2 is 
Look, here's the deal. These, these are the people that also made Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, and that's also a top three worst movie of all time for me. So <laughs> I think Crank I think Crank 2 takes the cake though, because there's at least a few things to enjoy about Ghost Rider 2. Like three things in an hour and a half movie, but anyway. Uh, that's a wrap. So remember that you can follow Jonathan and Alex, um, at the places they set up top of the show. I will have them in the episode description so you can, uh, kind of copy and paste. You can follow me on Twitter or letterboxd at, uh, Schweitcastle. And quick reminders if Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA network, you can check out other great shows, studiodna.media. And if you're interested in writing for SifPop.com or you want to get in contact with us, maybe send us a question to explore during the B-plot, then email writersroom at SifPop.com uh, or like give me a DM on Twitter or something like that. And please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes uh, and Spotify if you're listening over on any of those platforms. Next week, uh, I'll be talking about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with Joe. Um, actually really looking forward to that, unironically. So it uh, should be fun. Uh, a quick reminder, March like 10th or 11th, somewhere around there, we'll be having the um, Oscars review. So Allison, Shane, and I will be taking a look at last year's Oscar awards and assessing whether they were the right awards to give out or not. Um, and we will potentially give out some new ones or you know, just confirm whatever the Academy voted for uh, with a year in hindsight. Uh, and in two weeks, uh, join me uh, with Sam and Jason. We'll be talking about Shin Godzilla, which is like kind of related to the, you know another monster movie, um, and Kubo and the Two Strings. So I'll be going down in two weeks. Uh, Alex and Jonathan, thanks for your time. Really appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And uh, thanks for helping me cross Cloverfield and take Cloverfield Lane off my watch list, and uh, and for providing conversation that kind of helped me appreciate these films more. So. Uh, especially those first one, lots of, lots of things that I didn't know about the first movie that kind of helped me out. So, um, yeah, uh, we will see you guys at the next schedule. I think, uh, um, maybe about like April that'll come out. Well, I, I think the plan is to keep doing this same format. So we'll see you guys then. Uh, and listeners, we'll see you guys next week. All right.